Um, boys, I like we got this. podcast going. Yeah, this room is better, I think, too. We don't have like a Move a bit closer to your mouth. We don't have like a lamp, like sitting on a chair, all sad. <laughs> this, is, this is nicer. It was really gloomy in there. Yeah. Oh, I'm not going back. <laughs> it's a little cozier. Yeah, no, yeah. This, this feels nice. This feels like a like a studio space almost. If it was, you know, a sad single man's spare bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey, well, I had a lady in this single room last night. Well, I love night. how you have curtain yeah. rods with no curtains on them. What was, was the, what was the relation yeah. to her? Uh, it might have been my mother. <laughs> and yes, I do have curtain rods with no curtains on. There are her. women in here. Yeah, yeah. I should. Uh, I've been here three years. At some point, I'm going to put curtains on that window. No one said I had to sleep with them. I think that your mom would like that a lot when she comes over to stay in your house and be the only female here. I think she would would really like some curtains. That would be really nice for her and just her. Do you get that from her? Did she come over and be like, you know, Garrett, you really should put some curtain rods up. Maybe that... You know what? She bitches so much when she comes over here, but she's never said a damn thing about that window. What does she focus on? Um... Her being the only woman in this building. <laughs> well, I mean, why, just... why I don't talk to the women that live directly below me? <laughs> why don't you? Oh, you're really cute. Yeah. You really should go say hi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she, oh, that one. She's adorable. She looks like that Joaquin Phoenix. <laughs> that that Joaquin Phoenix. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That that's it. We don't have to focus on you if you don't want to. Not, <laughs> we, we can, what else do you want to it's say about me? It's not all about you. Come, what else do you want to say um, about me? We do I need... I have bones. <laughs> you said that. We're going to be nice today. Every, everyone doesn't feel well, so yeah. we're going to be nice to each I other. I feel fine. What's wrong with you, Mike? Um, I had uh, poopy problems this morning. Well, my, it happens my, when you get when you turn 60. Yeah. My, uh, my my turd cutter does not work very well. It hates me. And uh, I, you ever um, you ever been around like horses and you hear like one piss and it sounds like a, like a riot hose hitting the ground? Yeah. That's what it sounded like in my toilet when I went poopy. Oh, it was forceful. And I don't know how well the porcelain held up in there. But yeah, man. yeah it was really, really bad. You look I, down and there's just a big crackle. <laughs> well, I mean, like this morning, everything was fine. Um, but I did I did not feel 100%. So I loaded up on vitamins and I might have overdid it because I took like elderberry and zinc and took like emergency and like oh, five man. kinds of tea. I and, thought you were just half kidding, but you I, really don't. No, I, I had like fucking ginseng in my mouth, like an old like miner with tobacco or something. And uh I think my body, I didn't have any food, and then I did have some food, and it was uh, stuffed shells. So does it help to have one of those organizers? Yeah. Oh, every day. You you joke. It, it really, really does, because... Yeah, I, Monday, Wednesday, yeah. Friday. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, because I'll be watching have the Price is Right and going, did I, yeah, did I take all five blood pressure medications? <laughs> did, I, did I take those? No, but yeah, I, I was fine. I took a solid uh, poopy, and that was okay. Um and then that was this I, morning. Yeah, that so, was this morning yeah, okay. as well. And then, like an hour later, after I had eaten, uh, I the I mean, I literally was going in the bathroom before I was even swallowing the last bikes because I had to go again, and it was um, a horse piss poop. Oh. It was a really bad one. And then, as I was, was gathering it the kind my that things, made you just feel like you're you're assholes on fire it wasn't fiery yet because my fire the fire ones come for me after it gets all tired out from from pooping wet all day 
Because it's the ones where at the end of the day after you've shit 25 times Were you wet. chafing after? Were you itchy? No, not yet. No. Okay. No. Um, I got in the shower, actually, right after I shit. It was one of those. Like, <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, no, like, like toilet paper. <laughs> Did you have to take your clothes completely off before getting on the toilet? <laughs> toilet paper would, like, whisper a suggestion to my ass, but it wouldn't actually, like, make any kind of, like, grand statement, you know? Ooh, yeah. So I got in the shower, and then as I was packing up all my stuff, all my goodies to bring to the boys today, to Nom Nom on, I, uh, I had a micro fart, and uh, it felt... So slick immediately. It didn't go. It didn't go in my panties, but it did. It was caught was it in like the butt a little, cheeks, like a little stream that just kind of shot out. Yeah, a little it, bit. It wasn't even one of those like where you can like straighten your back up real tight kind of things and catch it. It was one of those like I I just thought about farting and I had wet in my <laughs> in my crack and I went in there. You know what? You know what an animal I am. God, I'm gonna bless this. I went before I went in the bathroom. I reached down the back of my pants and I just thought like, no, no, it's fine. It just felt wet and I reached with my hand. And I brought my hand up, and I was like, "That smells like a tire fire. <laughs> we just, that smells like I'm sick." Bad. Was it, was it, was it clear? Was it, it was clear. Yeah, it was clear. It's clear. Yeah. All right. It's, so like, it's, it's like it's like colonoscopy type wet. Well, it's shit. It's not medicine. I mean, it's shit. Yeah. No. No. It was doo doo, but it was oh, okay. it was it was sick. Uh, and if this continues, I'll probably die pretty soon. Kind of doo doo. I think um, the podcast rate is just tank like 10 points. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're, we're, we're down to three listeners now. <laughs> we're spending the first five minutes talking about shit. Okay, we do need to get to something. Um, we okay, did... so I thought of a new theme song for us this morning in the shower. Oh, Are you ready? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, here we go. Wait, hold on. I forgot. No, that's really good. No, <laughs> he, I like he that. Just I like that. That's, that's, that's the best thing we've ever done. <laughs> Laughing and singing and hanging around. We're crossing our streams, but moms don't know we're making a sound. Chug a surge and ready, get set, because it's 90s roulette. That's a good yeah, I mean, it, yeah, I like the way you brought it around. If you didn't like have that. like a partial aneurysm in the middle of the <laughs> yeah. verses there, I think it would have been a yeah. lot more effective. But yeah, I mean, like all of a sudden it can just get you a complete blank. What do as you, soon as I said it this morning in the shower, I was like, all right, yeah. Yeah. No, it kind of sounds like a like a commercial you'd hear in the nineties. Yeah, yeah, like like it's a, a, gum, a, a gum commercial where people are on their bikes and it's everyone's smiling. Yeah. yeah, I like that. We should we should uh, we should do something with that. What, do you, what instrument do you picture? Like a like a, a third grade recorder? <laughs> yes, like with your a with melodica. your name and cursive like like stenciled on there with like a burning iron thing. One of those yeah. like plastic kid pianos. <laughs> Hell yeah! It's just one nice, tone. yeah. yeah. A little xylophone. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, baby music. I like that. Um, we did talk last week before we got recording, and I do want your input on this before we get too far into anything. So basically, uh, you weren't here for the first episode. So Dalton and Garrett and I, we basically went over like things we don't want to say on mic, like last okay. names, or you know, talk about significant others, or. Just anything too personal, like medical records. I mean, things like that. Sure. Is is there anything that you kind of want to do? You, what do you have any input on that? Is there anything that you want to yeah, kind of go ahead? I mean, and, I think we should make it as vague as possible, right? Yeah. Just to for protectiveness. I mean, I mean, like I don't mind. Yeah. Hey. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa! Jesus Christ! Whoa, 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 buddy! Okay, I told you. Okay, I told you. 
Jesse, oh, you stop, be, think real close time. about what you're saying right stop, now. Okay? Stop recording. Stop recording. Okay, okay, okay. Right, hold on. I've stopped. Okay. We're not recording. Right, look, man. I can, I, can so look right, cool. I can look right in your eyes. Can I talk to you for a minute? I can tell that you've been on the fucking doing the do all morning long. You need to go. And I don't know what your, your beef is with the Polish people or the Norwegian. Okay? But I thought I knew every slur for the Polish people, and I just heard three drop in like five seconds. And listen, out of our ten listeners... Seven of them are in Saskatchewan, so you can't say shit like that. You can't say things like that. I'm sorry. All right, start recording. Listen, if you're not ready to All hear right, it, we're back. You're not in the right place. Okay. Okay. I mean that that's that's fair, but this is '90s roulette. I thought we were here to spread hate. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're you're already here first. Folks. Look, this is '90s. You can't podcast. talk like you're in the '90s. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I know the mantra is it's the '90s, anything goes, but you can't say things about that about yeah. people in Ontario like that. It's just not. It's not going to fly. It's not going to fly with me. It's not going to fly with Garrett. It's not going to fly with our two listeners now. My grandfather was Ontarian. Have you met one of these people? <laughs> Sound <laughs> off, Jesse. Go, go ahead. What's wrong with them? One of these fake French motherfuckers. <laughs> I'm not going to beep any of this. No, no, no. Welcome to 90s Roulette, the podcast where we roll the wheel to find out what media is covered from the only decade worth talking about. Does everything still glitter as gold through rose-tinted glasses or not? Not. Uh, Michael, and with me is... I'm Jesse. And I'm Garrett. And I'm Dalton, and my dick doesn't work, and neither <laughs> does my brain, because I'm stupid. I got sausage fingers, and I don't like anything. <laughs> no, Dal- Dalton's not with us this week, and it's not fair. He can't defend himself. So if, if any of you guys want to get some shots in now, let's go ahead and do <laughs> it's it. Perfect <laughs> it's a perfect time. Yeah. It's an open season on dummy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, Dalton is not with us this week. He, um, in all serious note, he's, he, uh, he's got a pretty serious... Um, surgery happening today he's uh, getting a prolapse correction um it's mainly a, a work-related injury he's he's in a well we don't want to get too personal but he's, he's in a rough trade let's just leave it at that so let's don't all, talk about the dogs like that well let's all send our thoughts and prayers out to dalton hope he has a speedy recovery and gets back because uh, the public restrooms won't be the same without him get ready for the best episode we've had well It'll definitely uh, not have as many clipping audio files. Yeah, because sure. uh, uh, certain someone who can't be with us today, every time he cackles, uh, it spikes the fucking wave files, like basically through the top of the uh, monitor on my computer. Yeah. So um, he'll be missed, but not, the, not, not by that much. Yeah, it, he will not be missed when you're editing. No. Uh, but yeah... This week, we rolled the movie Leaving Las Vegas, starring Nicolas Cage and Elizabeth Shue. We rolled uh, The Critic, starring John Lovitz, cartoon from 94 to 95. And we rolled uh, Rammstein, Du Hast, music video. Uh, Garrett, do you want to tell the listeners how we chose these things? Yeah, so the way we went about uh, choosing these was we have these all out on a uh, document that are numbered and organized and... When it comes time to selecting the media we're going to use, we uh, load them up in a run, uh, random number generator and let it randomly select 
uh, which one we're going to get. And that's what we rolled. We all picked one, and then we all played Spin the Bottle, and whoever got kissed, that's the one that we did. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> everyone's kind of a winner in that game. But um, I, I would not say the same for what we rolled this week, because uh, this one's going to be a fucking downer. It's a downer. It's a it's, fucking No, downer. it's a happy movie. Yeah. <laughs> it, it does have a happy ending. So uh, It's like, what yeah. movie did you watch, Garrett? <laughs> oh, we weren't doing... Viva Viva Rock Vegas. (laughs) We we were doing Pee Wee's Playhouse. (laughs) Yeah. Surely there's another movie with Las Vegas in the title that Garrett watched. Well, I watched The Hangover. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Looking for a great gift idea? Chia Pets, the pottery that grows. And now Chia Heads. Hey guys, this is Michael, and just want to give a quick fair heads up. Uh, the Leaving Las Vegas conversation does include themes covering sexual violence and suicide. And though we try to add humor where we can to the overall discussion, those themes aren't taken lightly. So please see the show notes on the episode if you would rather skip ahead to the other conversations. Thanks. Are you desirable? Are you irresistible? Maybe if you drank bourbon with me, it would help. Maybe if you kissed me and I could taste the sting in your mouth, it would help. If you drank bourbon with me naked, if you smelled of bourbon as you f***ed me, it would help. It would increase my esteem for you. If you poured bourbon onto your naked body and said to me, drink this. If you spread your legs and you had bourbon dripping from your breasts and your me and said, drink here, then I could fall in love with you. Because then I would have a purpose to clean you up. And that, that would prove that I'm worth something. I'd lick you clean so that you could go away and fuck someone else. You just listened to Sonnet by Sir Nicholas Cage. came up with this whole fucking dumbass waste of time for a podcast i did think well we'll still get to talk about like ren and stimpy with the boys we'll talk about terminator 2 we'll get to eat gushers and watch some some music videos i did not for the fucking life of me think that on our fourth roll we were going to be rolling fucking leaving las vegas a bit of an oversight one of the hardest movies like think I've had to watch Schindler's List has <laughs> yeah. like moments of levity and hope in it. Like there's moments in that movie where it's like some of these people will be okay. I guess that's what the list is, right? Yeah. Leaving Las Vegas is a fucking black hole. It is a vacuum of all hope. And uh, when you were first telling me about it, you're like, well, it's not that bad. It's not like Requiem for a Dream. And then by the end of it, I was like, no, that's a pretty good comparison. <laughs> that's pretty good. I, I mean, we'll, yeah. we'll get to the end, but I, I think I would say that the that at least Nicolas Cage gets what he wants. You know, so it's kind but is of, it a good thing? No, it's not. No. Yeah, no, no, not at <laughs> yeah. all. Unequivocally not. Yeah. Um. And for a time, Elizabeth Shue kind of does too. But, but she ends up completely desolate by the end. Yeah. And yeah. in a worse shape so, than she probably was before. Um, this is a, a movie, in the simplest terms, about a man 
who has decided to go to Las Vegas after being fired from his job and, you know, just being a horrible drunk in L.A. And uh, decided to drink himself to death. Literally. Literally drink himself to death until he is dead from it. He and- sold his house sold, or got rid of his house, sold his stuff. And he just takes he, all the money, goes he, to... He doesn't even try to hide it. He tells everyone that's exactly what he's doing, yeah. too. Yeah, and it's not a cry for help. I mean, it it is pretty black and white from the get-go. Um, I guess we'll we'll start with the basics. It's directed in 1995 by uh, director Mike Figgis, who really hasn't done a whole lot. He did Internal Affairs with um, uh, Andy Garcia and Richard Gere. He did Lieberstrom, which is kind of a weird little... Uh, neo-noir movie and then one night stand uh this is kind of his standout movie it got a lot of award attention uh, especially for cage and shoe uh basically uh it's a documentary about nicholas cage um as a human being and uh i think it's pretty effective in that because um joke aside i mean this thing that he's doing in this movie, I guess, is like the seed being planted for what Nick Cage is going to continue to do shortly thereafter for the next like 25 years. Are you talking about becoming an alcoholic or the way he's acting? Becoming a fucking anomaly, just a completely like enigmatic, not not and that he's not complicated, but to to a viewer. Yeah. What are you doing? Because yes. he's always what year is this? Ninety five. Yeah. He's always, especially after this, like, this is, he's strange in this movie, but it works in this movie yeah, works. because of what that character is. But then after this, he dials what he's doing in this movie up to 11 and, like, everything he does. Yeah, I mean, it seems like before this, even in, like, Raising Arizona, where he's working with the Coens and a lot of other, like, really interesting directors. Um, and what he, year was that? Like, 97 yeah that's kind of like an early cohen but it seems like he is listening to directors and he's making like interesting choices but mm. he's not deviating from what's on the page probably i mean he's still following the instructions I mean, and, he's a uh, bit of a method actor right so I, I, to a point yeah a it makes you wonder how how much of it was real like i kept thinking well, that throughout the movie yeah, well, to, to that point, um, Cage did, like, binge drink before he shot this for, like... I 100% believe that. Yeah, he, yeah. Ba- he, he basically... I forgot how long, but it was... He was full. It was only for a few years, I think. <laughs> uh, but, no, I mean, ba- basically, he, he would binge drink in preparation for the role, and then he would film himself. himself. Yeah, just yeah. to sort of understand, like... What it looked like. Especially what he would look like, because as an actor being drunk on camera is one of the hardest things to do and of course all the professionals say the trick to being drunk on camera is to, to pretend think to, you're not drunk to, well, to, yeah to, to pretend that you're not drunk to, to try to come off as you're not drunk so mm-hmm. it would be like if you were drunk and all of a sudden your girlfriend or your wife or your parents came in and it's like do everything you can to pretend you're sober right yeah but still let little hints come through here and there right yeah. don't be obvious something about your energy is a little different correct put yeah. put out put out low wattage don't be a big neon sign about the fact that you're drunk mm-hmm. but of and, course he goes to a whole nother level now oh yeah so this is where like 
I can totally see why someone would not like his performance in this, especially if you're only familiar with like the stuff he did after and like, National that's Treasure. The, yeah, well, no, not even that. He's kind of subdued in that compared to you yeah. know like Vampire's Kiss or, or something God, like I the meme that movie. of Cage, right? Which yeah, Vampire's Kiss is worth noting that despite all of his other stuff, that was not really done by like a big professional director mm-hmm. who could rein him in or whatever. So I think they did give him carte blanche to basically do whatever you want to do with that. So yeah. that's probably the earliest example of cage going full cage but like um, what year was that because vampire's kiss is 89 maybe 88 that that, that movie either way you could see how that either this movie or that would be an influence on this one oh for sure absolutely complete complete, like spiraling descent in a way which is what in a way that's just completely like not cognizant no right? he, he gets an idea in his head in vampire's kiss and basically spirals completely out of control not right. unlike but this. he has rabies so like he's Correct. absolutely out of his mind yeah it, it becomes an actual physical sickness versus a psychological sickness but right. it, and, and then they become intertwined which is the same thing that happens in this yeah, yeah but if you only have like the meme of cage in your head and you don't have any other like performances to go off of and you see this you you could probably not just just not take this performance seriously. Yeah. Um, however, like I, I think it's really good. Not just because <clears throat> um, it's fitting to the character, but when you're ta- looking at a someone who's playing someone who's drunk all the time, uh, th- when you see some people pl- do drunk performances, they just like pick either this is an angry drunk or a happy drunk or they're one type of drunk, and they just play that. Cage fucking does all of it. Right. He, in the same scene sometimes. Yeah, yeah. in the same scene. Yeah, he's like, yeah. he's all emotions throughout the entire thing. Yeah. He, he plays a variety of, and I would think that like if someone who is drinking just nonstop 24-7 for God knows how long, that's how they would be. You would see everything. Which is why Correct. I was really impressed, honestly. Yeah. I mean, the, as downer of as it was for a movie, I did really like it. Because I felt like it was really brutally honest. It does not shy away from someone who is that bad of an alcoholic. Well, there's something to an addict's sensibility. And I've heard someone say this before, someone that I knew. They basically said, like, you get to a point with your addiction to where you're not doing it to get high or to get low. feel And low in a good way. You know, like, like when you get drunk, you're doing it to be normal. Like, it's the way that you become your normal self because you feel so sick otherwise. Yeah. If yeah. that makes any sense. I mean, I got, that opening scene, or, whether, or the second or third scene, whatever it was, when he goes into the bank and he can't even cash the check. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he's just shaking. Because he's got the shake so bad. Yeah, yeah he's got a that drink was, to get normal again. Like, I mean, that whole first act of the movie is so cringy, but in a really brutally honest way. That was like, I oh, knew I was yeah. probably going to like it already because, like, yeah. this is so hard to watch. But I like that it is not shy about it. That, yeah, that, that, the, the scenes where he's not drunk are the really exceptional scenes. The scenes where he's going through the DTs and he's having the shakes. I mean, he yeah. he physically looks like he looks like an old lemon. He just looks bad. I yeah. mean, he he looks like uh, what's what's the word? Uh, sallow is that the word? Where basically like 
your the melanin in your fucking skin has mm. basically like depleted. Like your body is basically to, to your skin. The level of your skin is rejecting itself in a way. It doesn't yeah. know. It's it's basically an entropy. It has no idea what it's doing or what's happening. You to look it. malnourished and you're completely eyes are yellow. Yeah, your iron yeah. levels and shit all over the place. I mean, yeah. you are sick, sick. Like if you were to be cut, you'd probably bleed to death for some unknown reason. So let's talk about the beginning of the movie then. Um, it's. Well, the first scene is him like dancing through a grocery store, a liquor store, a liquor store. Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> just or the liquor aisle. No, he, one yeah, he has no shot. interest in grocery stores. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Yeah. yeah. Well, for, to him, this is these are groceries. Which, sure. it, which um, it, it's funny that you point that out because I I kind of chuckled to myself at one point in the movie when he opens the fridge. There's literally nothing in it but alcohol. It's yeah. just yeah. bottles of alcohol. That's all he's got. Like he does you not never, eat. You never it, throughout the movie. You never see him. He's he, there are scenes where he's got food in from him never never eats, never, never eats. takes a bite yeah never takes a bite yeah i think i think the most you see him put in his mouth is an ice cube yeah, yeah right that's and, it and that one yeah glass of water i mean i think you even see him like drink the glass of water and it's just the tiniest baby sip yeah it's like getting a kid to eat it like his his carrots or something or yeah. like his brussels sprouts like it's is that okay is that enough like it's the tiniest fraction off of just one of them mm-hmm. and that's what he's doing and i mean that's what he's doing to to appear normal and to appease the person in front of him yeah so the scene after that um is uh where you first get your real first look at him it's with uh, i think peter lewis uh it's richard lewis richard the lewis. comedian and stephen weber uh, of wings fame basically they they, t- they play two like associates of his or yeah whatever they are basically he, maybe he works agents. i think one I yeah think so one clarify for this for me he he works for a studio right yeah he um, works for a i think he might be like a script reader or he might work for an agency or something yeah he's got yeah. scripts on his desk i feel like he's a green so, light kind of guy yeah he's someone who yeah basically approves a, a final draft of a script and, and it, takes he it is himself up. also a writer yes um, yes. But that's his day job is like working at an agency or yeah, something. Yeah, it's kind of unclear, but honestly, that was one of the things I liked about the movie too. Yeah. Was that it never makes it's a point. To, yeah, yeah you, it's not important. You get the idea. He's just he just works in Hollywood. Yeah, was something dealing with scripts. And he was probably at one point really well respected because he, he knows a lot of important Seems to people. Be. Yeah. His boss really liked him. And it's uh, probably, and probably sure that, it's like that. he he met all these people at networking events, drinking or something. Sure. Yeah, bars, just kind of a slow descent. Just, it's kind of a thing throughout the movie. He's he's a charismatic guy, right? So he is likable to and people that, around. That's him. kind of an industry where you could probably get away with it for quite a while. Yes. You yeah. know what I mean? It's it's not like you're a fucking accountant or something. And he it's just like, gets to the point where he's inoperable. Yeah, right. yeah, I, yeah. So yeah, he, he shows up at this restaurant. It's kind of like a high profile restaurant, but I'm sure it's where everyone he knows hubbubs. And that suit, he just looks like a child. Like there's, yeah. like there to be another child. He's standing on top of their shoulders or something. It's so oversized. It, it looks like Which like I, your your I, dead I, grandfather passed a suit onto you, and, and it doesn't fit that. you, but you yeah. still want to try to wear it to like. Well, it's what he would have wanted. Maybe I'll grow into it one day. And it's like you're 31. You're yeah. done growing. This Which is, was a really good choice, I think, on yeah. part of the director and wardrobe because it, it's supposed to look like he's really undernourished right like he's yeah. losing so much weight yeah from undernourished so much this might be the only yeah. suit he's got yeah or he might have sold his other suits or something for right yeah your money or liquor yeah. money yeah and he's a man i mean he shows up and these two guys are clearly kind of like on the up and up and um they're talking to two i guess actresses or whatever they are and they're sort of wheeling and dealing and i mean just just 
the sight of him, you can tell like this is not the first time, this is not the tenth time, this is God knows the umpteenth time that they've had to give him money or to sort of shoo him away or whatever, cater to to his whims in some way. And basically, he he needs some money, and they say this is it. I mean, we're cutting you off. And I, I think that whole scene is basically these are probably the last two out of potentially what two hundred people he knows and and bumps elbows with. These are the last two. These are these are the ones that he knows are holding out last and will still give me 10, 15, 20 bucks, whatever it is. It never really is clear. They basically just give him the money and say, do me a favor and don't fucking drink it here. Just go somewhere else. Just don't be anywhere near my person. I got the impression that they were probably like his best friends. Cause as you say, like they're the last people left and they know even when he promises, like I'll, I'll get it back to you in the morning. I'll have the money for you in the morning. They know he's not going to get it to them. Yeah. Anybody else cringe by the end of the next scene too? And it's like he was so drunk, like early in the morning, like he's not giving that money back. No, and, and they, <laughs> yeah. they basically tell him like I don't want the money back because then I have to see you again. Right. I don't want just take the money. I'm this is a payoff. Like that way you can cross the street if you see me coming. Like don't give me the money. You don't owe me anything. So yeah, it's just a hard cut to like him in a bar, and it's not specific. Like, is it the same bar at the hotel somewhere or a separate bar? Like, it's probably right next door, I assume. But he's the at a bar. Place. At, yeah. yeah, and he's sitting next to uh, uh, Valeria Galino, the, basically the lady from Hot Shots, who's like one of the most beautiful women in the world. I mean, just just an absolute knockout. And the amount of tolerance she has for him in that scene is staggering it, yeah he is being such a belligerent loud just smelly from afar shithead and she's putting up with all of it i mean it's funny because at the the whole time during that scene like i get that's the point that he's supposed to be an absolute shithead but could you even get away with writing this scene anymore like he's such a belligerent asshole to her in the most like sexually aggressive oh, way I'm sure you could because like, it's not i mean the point is to vilify it Right, really? and it's almost like it's so cringy that I feel yeah. like now it's like audiences would react with so much hate. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like it would I, be I, hard I to understand, like almost. Yeah, because he's he's offering to buy her yeah. a drink and he's like singing to her and shit. It's like, like I got, I'm really good at fucking. Yeah, yeah. yeah he <laughs> says she should come God. back to his place and watch yeah. a movie, and yeah. uh, you know, ba- basically she just says like, "Thanks for the drink, I appreciate it." She's just trying to be nice to the guy. She's she's. He struck out like nine times, and he, she's still being so patient with the guy. And basically, he just sits back and sort of shrugs, and he says, You're just so cute, and you smell so nice, and I'm really good in bed. And it, it is like, just one oh, of my, the, my toes oh, curled my up God, at that My one. teeth like, were clenched. Oh, God. But, you know, she basically just gets up and just says, like, you know, pull it together. Just pull it together. Like, it's okay. Like, I'll, I'll see you another time. Pull it together. And it's like any other person would have just slapped him or tossed oh, a yeah. drink in his face and left. And it's almost like, what fucking reality is this movie set in? Because well, everyone, most people he comes in contact with just have like the most utmost pity for him. Yeah. They aren't like, yeah. they're not, no, they're not angry with him. They're like his boss later. It's just when he when he's getting fired. Yeah. It's just like it's not like I'm the, not heart, mad. the heartless I'm just Hollywood you typically see. And no. I mean, it, it seems like a pretty cynical movie. I mean, written by a guy, and we'll get into him, but written by a guy that fucking hated the industry. He really hated his line of work yeah. and hated being around these people. But 
everyone that comes in contact with him is pretty fucking patient. They're not the bad guy. Cage is no, he's Cage is the antagonists and the protagonists in this movie for the most part. I even kind of got the impression that maybe the movie was trying to imply she even actually kind of thought he was he could be cute, he could be charming, but because he's just such a belligerent dick that she's forced to just be in that position. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like she, it almost kind of seemed like she was like, in a different circumstance, I might actually go home with you, but you're just yeah. So wrong. That's that seems to be yeah. the implication there, yeah. and I just don't get it. Like maybe it's weird casting, maybe like it was written with someone else in mind. Um, I will never know, but he is like one five o'clock shadow away from being a fucking homeless person in this movie, like. He's not carrying that much charisma. I mean, he is cringy to watch even when he's sober. He he makes that fucking like bird noise <laughs> right. at the bar scene. I and it's about like, that. Jesus Christ, every single choice that's happening here is so bad, man. And I will say this, like if you feel like you're bad with picking people up or laying lines or, or what maybe your dating profile isn't like as sharp as it should be, watch this fucking movie. You're doing fine. You, <laughs> you are crushing it. You will never be this bad. No, no, oh, no, no. He gets Elizabeth's shoe somehow. Yeah, and we're going to talk about that because I have yeah. things to say about that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's, that's another over yeah. here. That's it's... another casting decision where it's like I don't think that's who they had in mind either. When they no, I, that. honestly, okay, I'm glad that you say that because I wanted to make this point and be as sensitive as possible about it. Uh-huh. But the, the whole movie, all I kept thinking is like, God, Elizabeth Shue, also one of the most beautiful women like in Hollywood, and it feels like so Hollywoodized. Like every time I see a scene where Elizabeth Shue is being sweet to him, yeah. and you get that there's a lot of this codependency, and that's what the whole movie's about, really. And that it's not like a pretty person can't be, you know, insecure or lonely. But all I kept thinking was like, this would make so much more sense if she was really plain looking and yeah. 300 pounds. I mean, like, just downplay is... her. Just right. downplay her looks. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's fucking Hollywood. Like, there's a way to make people look 20 years younger or 50 years older. I mean, look at fucking Marlon Brando in The Godfather. Get Dick Smith right. on this movie and make Elizabeth Shue slightly homelier. I mean, there's even that one scene where she's she's in the cab after the, that really oh my crazy God. scene that she has. And the guy's like, you could get any man you want. And it's like... You're telling me there's not some rich uh-huh. asshole out there that's not ready to throw a million dollars at her to just be like, you just just live with well, me. I, I, okay, uh-huh. so even though even though it, all that makes sense, I think the movie and the things that happen do sort of explain why these two people end up um, sort of in the center of each other's universe. Right. It's like I get it. I get that there, there he, is there is causality. He to makes this. her yeah. feel safe. Right. Yes. It's like I understand that. And but it. You just can't every time you see her and just of course she's all she's got full makeup on in every scene and her hair is perfect. Yeah. And you're just like, there's no way. <laughs> I just can't believe Elizabeth Shue like this. It's no. like this is the best. This is this is the only thing that gives well, you that's comfort. also someone that's probably thinking like, you know, how many people are going to want to date a hooker? Right. Especially well, if she's I not mean, wanting it, to quit. If you're game. some rich Wall Street asshole that just can throw money at someone like Elizabeth Shue, why wouldn't you just like, I mean, surely those people are out there. They'll just be like, you're so beautiful. Like, take a million dollars and just live at my penthouse. Well, then you're not dating right. someone. You're but just buying but a hooker. Not, but yeah, but there wouldn't be dating her, right? Like, that's, I mean, he's not dating her. 
Like, I mean, she wants them to. I mean, they point point is that she wants comfort, and somebody would about throw money at her for toxicity that. Toxicity to a point, though, with relationships, though, because I don't think she's ever understood how to be, how to have the self worth to be attracted to anyone that is better than, right. than what she's used to. But that's I mean, why you would think that she, if some douchebag was had the money, she would just be like, okay. I I guess, but I mean, we'll, if it gave you comfort, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get to her. We'll get to her. There's a, there's a yeah. few more things here, but she is she is easily the most interesting thing in this movie. Oh yeah, by I mean a lot. I mean Cage Cage to watch is pretty fucking interesting, but Elizabeth Shue has got a lot more layers to to try to peel back and look into than Thank Cage you. does. C- Cage is very surface level interesting. Yeah, she's got a she has like a character arc going on for sure. Where- so, so so after after we see a lot of drunken shitheadness from Cage, he goes to a bank to cash his check. It's the next morning, and he's got well. He goes to he goes to work first, right? That's why no, he, he, has the well, check. Goes to, he goes to the bank first. Uh, I think doesn't he? I thought that was the reason he goes to the bank is because he gets the severance. I thought he goes to job. work and drinks because he's trying to cash something. Yeah, I think he's trying to. He's cashing severance. He gets severance. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. He, so he he goes to work the next day, and he's sitting in his office, and he's talking on the phone with the phone upside down, <laughs> and it's it's like something out of a fucking cartoon, honestly. Where like it's she like, comes yeah. to get him, and he's like about to throw up. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah. He's trying not to puke into his wastebasket. I'm sure he's already done it a few times that morning. I mean, she seems like to be wincing with like her her nose. Like her nose is basically like. Two inches Honestly, higher than it should be. Great directing in that scene and great acting from the secretary or whoever she's supposed to be. Because yeah. I love that moment when he gets up and starts waltzing with her and her reaction is so spot on and that it's she's not surprised. She's no. not weirded out because she's done this so many times. Yeah, this is every morning like, of her yeah, life. Like it was, that was really interesting. I liked the way that was delivered. Yeah. I also thought that Kate was going to throw up in her face at that moment. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like honestly, it wouldn't even it wouldn't even make the scene any worse. No, it, it, I know it wouldn't. You're already at that fucking level where, like, if he if his head were to spin around four times and he puked like pea green pea green <laughs> yeah. soup in her face, it'd be like, yeah, of course that yeah. happened. Yeah. It probably like has happened. He probably but, has thrown up on her. Yeah, he he's like Daffy Duck if he was drunk though. I mean, like he's. <laughs> Spinning around in this fucking seat. He's got like a comical amount of scripts on his desk. I mean, it's it's like when you see like a Dilbert cartoon and there's like an inbox and an outbox. Yeah. And yeah. It's like a, a mountain high on each side. Well, I think that's just like he's so behind on work. Yeah. Probably, he, yeah. Right? He's yeah. just not doing any of it. He's he, literally he can't even hold a to. phone receiver the right way. And his comments like, someone needs to fix these phones. Yeah. And like, like he thinks he's being funny and charming. Like, like, is he doing this to look like he's working or is he doing this for her amusement? You really can't even tell anymore because I think charisma is getting this guy by at this point. Right. As long as yeah. he is being extroverted and charismatic. And like, people oh, will that's buy- just him. Oh, they, that's just crazy yeah. old him. And it's like, you are sweating so hard and it is 50 degrees in this room. So yeah, it, Basically, she tells him, you need to go see the boss, the big boss man. And he goes in there and it just cuts right to it. You know, he, he says something about they, like, it never says you're fired. No, like, no, no. It's never severe. He doesn't even seem mad. No, He's, he seems like, sort of like, you know, you know, it, it just seems in, inopportune for everyone to say much out loud. And he just says, you know, we're gonna have to let you go. We're Great you scene go. from Cage, too, because that's one of the most downtrodden moments 
that you really feel like from him. I mean, the he way knows, he just says, okay. He always, okay. Yeah. Well, he, he starts crying. <laughs> he like it. he yeah. actually like, he kind of gasps and starts crying for a second. Cause he knows like, this is a long time coming. Yeah. And, and like, are we going to do this dance forever? Every day I come in here, I'm waiting for this. Right. Because I am clearly not interested in doing anything different. I'm not interested in getting better. Like I almost he's felt not, bad for you. It, it seemed embarrassing for you to have me here. Right. It's like, he's not upset. He's not surprised. Mm-hmm. He just, no. when he hears it, he finally hears it. He actually kind of cries a little bit. And it's yeah. like, man, and, I really have just like really wrecked this. And the boss says like, we really liked having you here. Yeah. We really liked having you around. Like, I, like we, I we miss be- you. I believe that for a point. For I, I, you know, whenever I think his, so too. Yeah, whenever his drinking started, I think that's why people were so kind to him. Right. He, like at some point, he was probably a super likable guy. Yeah. And so the, no one's mad at him for they just feel sorry for him. Right. And wish he would stop. Yeah, and I, I gives him a check and never says how much it is, but Cage sort of. Uh, Hence that, like, it's very generous. Like, it's, yeah. it's enough to go to Vegas and get a room and buy um, the fucking Hindenburg <laughs> he of booze. T- he takes one look at the check and the boss goes, what are you going to do now? And he goes, I'm thinking about moving to Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And he, he goes home and he burns everything in the backyard. He burns his clothes. He burns his belongings. He burns his yeah. passport. And burns I, a picture of his... Yeah, wife, that's the first. And, yeah. That's the first time you ever get kind of a real glimpse at that and what his home life was like. And yeah. so you, re- it never it, really tells it, you. It never what really tells to you, his. but it implies that he was married to a blonde who looks a lot like Elizabeth Shue. Yeah, and that he has a son. He has a son, and he, yeah. he, make, he makes a comment to a hooker uh, that I don't know if my wife left because of my drinking or if I started drinking because my wife left. Right. And it's like, you know. Yeah, it was it's, it's both. Like right. yeah. you, you she left because you were drinking and then you started drinking yourself to fucking death the moment she was gone. Yeah. yeah. So yes, the answer is both. And just while we're on the subject, I know it's later in the movie, but then there's that scene in the casino later where he just has that weird outburst and throws the yeah. himself from the table and everything and starts yeah. screaming about like he's my son, you know, you should give me a chance, he's my son or something. I like how it's never explained, but it's implied that he's estranged from his son, right? And everyone, and that's probably a yeah. big part of why he's so depressed. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Because there's never like a scene where he drunkenly calls the kid or the wife or anything like that. He knows that that that's done. That that book right. is closed. Like they like, probably have blocked him. Yeah, like they've out. given. There's no number. There's no, no address. They're just gone. They're just gone. Yeah, and and, and I think when he burns his passport. I, maybe I'm reading into that too much, but I think that that's the first visual indicator without without having to hear it out loud. This is it. This is the end of the road. I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to drink myself to death. This is the last stop, basically. I mean, I burned everything. I have no more belongings. I have no more purpose or place. I am done. And this is my last stop. Yeah. He's got a suitcase that is only filled with booze. Yeah, if if and a few clubs. If there's not a visual cue so for fatalism, car, like so more than that, also. I mean, yeah, you're you're really on point with the Daffy Duckness. Like, there are some moments where just like it's it is really cartoony how much alcohol he has or consumes. Yeah, like your average person would be dead way before he it finds himself in this position. Yeah, I mean, I mean that first night too, right? Before he goes to work the next morning, I think is the scene when he's driving the car 
and he's got the bottle of vodka in his hand. It's, and the cop it's, rides it's, up next to him. It's the first thing he does when he gets to the Vegas Strip. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He yeah. is literally just driving down the street. And what's crazy is maybe it's a bad take. It's hard to do the timing or something. But, I mean, that bottle's up to his lips of vodka yeah, it, for like two seconds. And the cop's just looking right at him. Then he puts it down. And it's like, nope, nothing's happening over yeah, here, like, officer. Like, you, like the cop really didn't see it. I thought that, too. It was like he saw it. He, he definitely saw it. Saw it. Yeah. Right? But yeah, I mean, the cop rides on, and then he he almost runs over Elizabeth Shue at a stoplight. She's she's crossing a crosswalk, and uh, they have kind of a little fiery interaction there. And that's I guess that's the first time they see each other, right? Yeah. yeah. Um. Before this, you had a little bit of an introduction with her. Yeah, yeah. You get to meet her and Yuri, the Latvian pimp, whose spell she's under, played by Julian Sands, who's one of the weirdest fucking 90s actors ever. He's mainly known for Warlock, uh, the Warlock movies, which are, are good because of him. He's one of those bad guy actors where if he really wanted to, he could be in better movies but he's more interested in being a fucking weirdo, kind of like Cage of, I'd rather do more low-budget stuff where they let me run free than be like in big prestige movies where I, I have to like work under Ridley Scott's thumb or something. I just want to be a weirdo on screen. That's the only thing I'm interested in. But yeah, he plays like her... being a, a character actor, I guess. No, or, no, just basically uh... playing myself and showing, <laughs> showing, up my, showing up in my own clothes, basically. Uh, but yeah, he, she, she's... So her introduction, she is in a hotel room with a couple, a thruple, I guess, and one of them is played by French Stewart. That's, oh, that's right. I almost forgot he was even in it. Harry from Third Rock from the Sun. And basically, I, I, don't, I didn't look it up, but he's in this movie, and then the year before this, he's in Stargate with Kurt Russell and James Spader. He plays one of the soldiers. Right. And he's actually kind of ripped in that movie. He plays kind of like a hothead soldier who's like kind of picking on James Spader. He plays kind of a jockish God, I dude. I remember that. It's Man. a very weird career. Look, he's in those two things. And then I think in like 96, the next year, he starts up Third Rock from the Sun. And I loved Third Rock from the Sun. Yeah, I, I mean, did. that Fox lineup in the 90s with King of the Hill and uh, God, what else was on that? It's that 70s show. Yeah. Like that, those, yeah. those we like were so good for yeah, Fox like TV. Yeah, like 96 to like 99. Yeah. Great years, man. And so whenever I see French Stewart, I just think about that character. Like I can't help but see yeah. like this weird alien dude. And, and it's, it's bizarre that like he, he got his start like in a Roland Emmerich movie, kind of a high profile Roland Emmerich before he did uh, Independence Day and all that. And then he's in Leaving Las Vegas. And you mean then, Stargate. And then, he's not in Independence Day, right? No, he's not in Independence But Roland Emmerich, that was his first, oh, like, you're talking, okay. give yeah. the guy a budget, see what he can do. And even Stargate's kind of, like, a not a low budget, but compared to what he does after that, only disaster epics. I mean, and French Stewart gets a spot in that, with alongside Kurt Russell, kind of like on a comeback swing, and James Spader and some other people. Um, but yeah, French Stewart's in one scene in this movie. I don't think he has a single line in it. Uh, but he definitely has presence in it. He seems sleazy and sweaty, oh, yeah. and <laughs> seems like, a lot of coke is happening. Something about the way the way he looks is it's like that's why <laughs> he's just chosen for yeah. his weird like squinty eye look at Elizabeth yeah. Shue. And on that point, like the whole movie really feels sleazy. Oh yeah, um, yeah. just like not even you know from uh, French Stewart, but like the way that it's shot. The cinematography, it's not pretty cinematography. It's not, no. no. But I think it's very good for this movie because it just makes every everything just looks dirty. It's befitting the movie. Yeah. yeah, it's befitting the movie. It looks like 
You can make something in Vegas look very pretty just because of all the lights and everything. Sure. But no, it's very, like, grainy. It's just kind of, yeah, it just, it looks like a homeless person movie. Yeah, it almost feels like there's, like, a, like a, a film on the lens or yeah. something at, at points. Like, they put Vaseline on it. Like, yeah, like, you're almost seeing it sort of, like, through a drunken haze at points. Yeah, I don't Some of the transition like... shots are sort of, like, dated and mm-hmm. blurry, and they have, like, that slow down effect, like that .5 speed effect. It does feel small and disorienting yeah. like you never really quite get like mat like big sweeping like master shot sure. scenes of places yeah. it feels like you kind of never really yeah. you never really know where you are yeah and yeah that's, that's certainly intentional and like this is uh that's kind of how i all i've always seen this movie i this is the first time i've actually seen it but every time i saw the poster like the poster even has that vibe and so I'd always just like in my mind I'd picture this as like this is probably just like a dirty looking movie, mm-hmm. and it is. Yeah, that's it's pretty spot on. Yeah, yeah. and the cinematographer is not like he doesn't go on to do anything. No, he really. does musical. <laughs> he shoots musicals. <laughs> oh after wow! This. Yeah, just a work. He day guy. he needed a real change after leaving Las Vegas. But I mean, get, getting to the heart yeah. of what this thing is because we we need to get there is basically he he finds Shu again. And he offers her some money, and she goes back to the hotel room, and you you get to see his living quarters, and it's just a dingy, shitty, like, little Motel 6 set up with a fuck ton of booze bottles. They're everywhere. I mean, they they adorn the place. Every surface Mm. is covered in booze bottles. He offers her a drink. Of course. And she takes a shot of tequila, and she tries to give him a blowjob, and he's talking and talking and talking and it's a lot of nonsense and basically there's a really nice sincere moment where she basically looks up at him and says what's the matter can you not come and he just sort of breathily says like i'm not interested in that and at that moment the whole thing changes and you realize like she just fell in love like the one thing she, that's all she needed she, that's it right. she, this is the one thing she thinks she's good at this is the one thing she thinks she has worth and agency and value in as a person is like when I am doing my job, when I am fucking, basically, I am in control, even though I'm not in control of anything in my fucking life. It's mm-hmm. an absolute shambles. I am in control of the moment and I am good at what I do and I have worth. I have value. And when he takes that element away from her and basically says, I want you here because you're a person. And no other person would be in the room with them unless he was paying them to be at this point. Right. But they basically are simpatico in that moment. And it is bizarre. And I think that moment is done with the cinematography and the music swelling and all that. It's done in a really tragically kind of nice way. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you realize what these two people are and what they are in that moment is centered with each other. And it's, it's unusual. It's not romantic. It's not. It's tragically rom- like Spartan romantic. Maybe. It feels present. Right. Yes. Yeah. And it's, then it's just it. like she re- they, they both have this sense of like we're just two people and we can just be here with each other and give each other company and talk to each other. And it's, it's exactly as you say, like she when she realized that I have more value than just in this job, which I don't like. Right. No. Yeah. No. Like that. That but I, but I, I have been told like, I am good at this, and I believe I am good at this, and I am good at this. Like, it's a fact now. Like, I have manifested that idea to be an absolute truth in my life. It's intrinsically true of me. 
And yeah, and he, when he takes that away from her, when he takes that picture out of the frame for her and says, no, this is you, it's better than, than you think it looks. The frame is trash. There's more here than, than meets the eye. And, and, and even that is selfish, though, because he just doesn't want to die alone. Right. And, it, and, that's, and I, that's kind of like the thing. Like, he, he, that's what he tells her that he's, he's going to He tells her she's, he's going to drink himself to death and that he just wants someone to be with him. Right. For the and, whole time. And I think it is also kind of, this is where it's also kind of implied, too, that Elizabeth Shue resembles his ex-wife. Because you only really get that one picture, and it's a quick glimpse of her, right? Yeah. She's blonde like her, and I, I think she's like in lingerie or something like that, like some Polaroid he yeah. has. Yeah. And so it's implied that she's she's very pretty, she's blonde, and... You know, he's already hit on multiple women at this point, sexually, been very aggressive. But why he's not with her, it like, it's not just about him being alone. I feel like it's also like he he immediately senses a companionship with her because I think it's familiar. Right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. that was the impression that I got. That's kind of the turning point of the movie, I think. Yeah. yeah. When they when they meet up. Um, yeah, we can move. Let's, uh, so after that scene, they um, this is where it kind of... It, it he cuts, doesn't move in right away. No, 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 no. It, it basically it cuts, goes back to her okay, and Yuri, so I think. Let's talk about this for a second because it this is never really explicitly pointed out either. There are scenes where Elizabeth's shoe is is doing like a narration, right? Like she's talking to someone. Okay, and yeah, it's always so off screen. I do want to talk about this because that whole sequence was wardrobe testing, camera testing, and uh, and she was delivering some monologues that I guess they were throwing at her. Um, and Mike Vegas, the director, just liked it and thought it was a good way to frame the movie, and so he put them in the movie as, like, narration. Yeah, I think it does give it a lot of helpful yeah. context. I do, too. But you wonder the entire movie who she's talking to. Could be, like, a, a therapist. A therapist, probably, you know. where I'm getting my life together. It gives it kind of a hopeful spin at the end. But basically, it goes from that hotel room to the next day, um, it's just kind of a hard cut. We really don't know like how much time has passed, but I guess they're on each other's minds at that point. They've come into each other's universes, and now it's like the sun is present again. This is when she goes to Yuri after that. She, yeah, she goes to see Yuri, and basically you just realize like how under the spell of this guy she is, and he is just such a fucking snake charmer weirdo. Yeah, I mean, they, he, done, they like do some like leader. flashbacks that it looks like he's cut her on the he's cut her on like the ass before with a yeah. knife. Basically, he's branded her. Yeah. Yeah. Not only done it before, but how accepting she is of it. I mean, yeah. isn't this also the scene where she like bends over the yeah. table? She bends and it's over just the table. Like, and she's like, just do it. do it. Like, and then he gets yeah. so mad that he's that she's accepting it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And and so like, mad. Like when he has sex to her. I mean, he when he has sex with her, he's basically saying like, you know, you fuck for a living, but this is making love. This is separate from all of that. Like, this is what making love feels like. And he's forceful. He's not, not a kind, gentle no. man at no. all. It kind of reminded me of the scene in Sin City where he has her captive and she's like, you can't get it up if I can't scream. And he's like, oh, you're going to scream. It's like something about like that sexual it's stimulation. Yeah, yeah, it's basically rape. I mean, it's about yeah. power. Like, yeah, she's accepting it and that pisses him off because it's not rape anymore. But yeah, like, it's, it's, like, it's like when she meets Cage, though, because I think that before she meets Cage and has that scene in the hotel room, that's where he basically... Um, it shows her under his spell so much, and that's when he has sex with her and all that, or basically rapes her. 
I mean, it's nothing that forceful, really, but it's sort of implied like this is all but rape. I mean, this is hardly consensual in any way. And the second she meets Cage and the next thing you see with them is when she sort of defies him. And it's almost like that stuff in Punch Drunk Love with Sandler where he falls in love. And it's like you have no idea how, how strong I can be with like love in my life. And that's sort of how she feels now. If you just do what you got to do, just fucking cut me, hit me, whatever you need to do. Let's just move on. Let's just get past this. And uh, she goes to a bar, and it's Arlie Ermey, the drill sergeant from Full Metal Jacket. Did you pick up oh, on that? Oh, yes. Uh-huh. Garrett didn't pick up no, on that. No, I didn't. I, just didn't. I knew he sounded familiar, but it, he just didn't look familiar to me. Yeah. He had glasses on, right? He has glasses yeah, yeah, he on. He does look like, different. he have, like, a beard or something? Uh, I, yeah, you know, I think he, he his hair is a little longer. He has yeah. glasses. He has a suit on. Yeah. He's clearly, like, a businessman. He's, man. like, a traveling salesman or something like at yeah. a convention. And uh, he, he's, he has no potty mouth at all in this movie no yeah he's straight laced he's like hank hill in this movie he's (laughs) just like now my wife wouldn't appreciate that and you're nothing but a a trollop and leave me alone like my 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 wife is waiting for me at home and gets up and leaves and you can tell she is just so like my heart's not in this tonight like i just don't i can't even be convincing like there's another hooker that's across the bar that's Watching her fail, just sort, of, yeah, just sort of, of shrugs. Yeah, like yeah. that whole that whole relationship, I thought was really interesting because you you keep seeing her. She yes, keeps showing. She, up. she comes up again. Yeah, and so what what is it about her and her sort of? I it, it seems like resentment or jealousy of Elizabeth Shue that she has because it seems like she's so proud to be able to one up her. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I didn't really pick up on that, but I, I don't think you're reading too much into anything. I mean, clearly it's there for a reason. Because um, you see her, there's a couple of times too where she's there in the background and nothing happens, but she's watching. She sees Elizabeth Shue and is is paying attention to what's going on, and then of course she shows up later and is with Cage, and and she has to. She has a look on her face. It's the same woman that, that he yeah, ends up it's, with. It's, it's the same, same woman. Yeah. yeah. Oh. A, but uh, she's a, the look on the face. So like later on in the movie, spoiler alert, I guess, um, Cage uh, picks up a, another woman at a bar or yeah. I forgot where. At the table. Picked, yeah, at the table. Yeah. And yeah, it's that same woman. Um, but the, and uh, Elizabeth Shue comes home to find, find them uh, not fucking, but on their way to doing it. Uh, but she's of course resentful because now this has turned into a weird toxic codependency relationship well the the look that the other woman gives Shu is not you know it's not anything like one-upping i didn't read it as just like like she did she legitimately didn't know that cage was i didn't realize i was living with her and so it seemed more apologetic but awkward it seemed like it was definitely yeah an awkward expression, but and maybe that's more of like a you're losing your power, like you're losing your effectiveness. Like I can almost smell it on you that like your heart's not in this anymore, something or something like that. Like, but particularly in that scene that you're talking about, where she she loses the catch, and the woman just sees her from across the bar and gives her this expression like, yeah, maybe you're yeah not cut out for this. Yeah, that, I mean uh, that's kind of how I yeah I you, see you're, it. Like, you're in love now when you can't do this anymore. Like I think that's right. You're losing your power. I mean I think I think it's important to show her someone as beautiful as her because after she meets Cage, you see a few more other hookups and they do not go well. Right. No, I mean like like why show someone reject her so fiercely right after she meets Cage, and right after she leaves this this uh, the early army scene, she leaves the bar. She finds Cage on the strip again, 
And this is a scene where he's sitting on a bench. He's completely shit-faced. And there are nuns passing out leaflets or pamphlets behind him on a corner, right? To any passerbys. And when she starts talking with Cage there, and it's kind of, it's very flirty. It's I mean, she's interested. Like She has peak interest in Cage at this point. I feel like that scene... Because the nuns don't just happen to be there. It's not like they were just filming there and the nuns were like, yeah, it's right. fine. You can put yeah, it in the background. A I think that is a fork in the road moment for Shu to where the devil's on one shoulder, basically, and the angel's on the other shoulder. And it's like, you you don't need to do this anymore. Yuri's dead at this point. Yuri has accepted his death and his Latvian brothers or whatever have gone and killed him. We he did t- skip over that. We did, but whatever. I mean, Yuri the pimp basically tells her, get the hell out of here. Go, like, he takes his shoes off as some sort of funeral rite, and he says, get out of here. And he does do he one owes, nice thing. He owes money to some people. In some gangsters, LA. yeah. Some, someone that like, he's... Which what I, I, he blames her for because he hasn't been able... She hasn't been able to collect... Of course he needs. Yeah, yeah. He, he's blaming yeah. anyone but himself, but he owes right. a lot of money uh some gangsters. But I do... Before we move on, I, like I do want to point out, there were several instances where, like, kind of like an episodic cartoon character, Cage is just in the background of Yuri's life. Yeah, um, at the pawn shop. Well, at the pawn that, shop. Yeah. But there's <laughs> yeah, also there's that. also when he's on his way to Vegas and he sees the gangsters at the gas station, and he's just like, yeah, you know, he just waves at them. Yeah, right. and they're, uh, yeah, they're just like like mad dogging him. Yeah, nothing yeah. happens. Nothing. And and then later on, yeah, uh, Yuri's trying to pawn off his watch, and he's he can't get as much money as he wants for it. And then Cage comes up and pawns off his watch and gets like five hundred Five, for it. Yeah, it's like nothing. It's like a thirteen thousand dollar yeah. watch. And, and just brags about it to Yuri's face. Yeah. <laughs> well, interesting it's, because they're one guy like, accepting death and one guy who hasn't quite accepted death. He's trying exactly. to take himself out of a hole. I think hole, that's yeah. the point. I think that's more, the point of the Yuri stuff. Like control in general, right? Yeah. It seems like there's a constant parallel between these two characters where one is is constantly trying to control everything and the other one who has accepted everything. Completely. Yeah. yeah. Like, like one guy is still saying like cosmically like the odds are against me but i'm gonna get out of this like even that, like, no, that, in that scene the pawn shop he's fighting so hard to get that extra money for yeah. the re or whatever he's trying to pawn and then yeah. k shows up and he he offers him 500 dollars and whatever and it's probably way more expensive i don't even know but yeah. he's like oh 500 dollars nice for watch. this really so yeah. it's like sure he just yeah. says okay right yeah, yeah. he's like that's enough him. for me yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, I, fine. I, i'm not go. i can't take it with me and i'm definitely going somewhere that the money won't go so I think that Yuri's sort of like a warning in a way to her, uh, symbolically, of like, you're around these guys that are doomed. They're doomed figures, basically. And and Yuri tells her, get out. He could have been selfish there and said, you don't leave me. You don't ever leave me. Like, you belong to me. And she would have been killed, too, just for being there, I'm sure. Or she would have been raped or something terrible would have happened. She would have just either even been like psychologically fucked up from like seeing the death of this guy. And it's like he shouldn't have been around the guy to begin with. But he tells her to go and it's sort of like start your life over. Do whatever you want to do. And she has a moment there where she could do that. So when she sees Cage there on the bench and she sees the nuns there, it's like you could do anything. You could do anything you want. You're not a dummy. You're beautiful. I mean, you're well-spoken. Like you can do something with your life here. And she chooses Cage. She chooses this gravitational pull of death and despair. I mean, there's inevitability with Cage. There's also like moments where where Cage constantly refer he says something along the lines of like looking for his angel. Like I think he might have said oh, yeah, he might absolutely. say it in the poem and yeah. then he says it again at the end of the movie. So 
it's almost like there it's drawing like a visual imagery there of like her being his guardian angel like she's there sure. to give him a last kind of comfort right yeah and vice versa yeah that's what that's it yeah so then after that um she she invites he, him to dinner. She, she invites him to dinner. They move in together. Yeah, she uh, she become, says don't don't die in a hotel room by yourself. Come come here. You can die at my house. Basically, yeah. they yeah. they become domesticate. Start a domesticated life as much as you can. And there's like an unspoken agreement, or not very unspoken, at least not in Cage's part, where it's like the only rule is for Cage, you don't tell me to stop drinking. Yeah. And then I won't tell you to stop poking. It's like it's. I think after the first night he spends there, right, and the next morning. He, he wakes up, rolls over, picks up a drink, and then says something to her along those lines. Where he's like, that's the one thing. Like, just, you can't ask me to do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And she, I mean, she gives him shirts, and she gives him a flask. And that flask is like complete acceptance. Yeah. And and that is the nicest thing he's ever received in his eyes. And she, she goes to a bathroom, and she sits down to pee, basically. And she just sort of like exasperated says, like, I'm just so sick of being alone. Like, that sums her up completely. Like, even when she's around most people she's around, she's alone. She's in her head. It's interesting because I, now that I'm thinking about it, she's really the subject of the movie, right? And she not is, Nicholas 100%. Cage. Yeah, because yeah. she, when you think about it, it's the way that she enables his behavior. And, like, that's why she ends up alone in the end, right? Like, she, she probably could have saved him, or, and he could have saved himself, I think that's yeah. I think that's where the movie's trying to take you, like what right. what you're it's, expecting. It's, and it's the way that all those tropes, the way that they're so codependent on each other that they allow each other to and they they enable the bad behavior, right? They 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 give each other room for that that weird toxic relationship, 100%. and that's what makes it fail. Yeah. It's it's what they like about it, but it's also why it's doomed. And the casting is really really interesting when you get to this point where you start realizing like this is the scope of the movie. This is the story that they're trying to tell. It's because Cage had been in a lot of romantic comedies. I mean, with Moonstruck and even like It Could Happen to You with Meg Ryan and he had done a few others. Even uh, Honeymoon in Vegas was like a year or two before that with Sarah Jessica Parker and James Caan. He's in these sort of schmaltzy like romantic comedies and Elizabeth Shue was a child actress. She's the love interest in Karate Kid. She'd done a few other things between this and that. Uh, adventures in babysitting and all that. She's she's a fun, like, you know, sort of charismatic actress that was in, like, little cult hits here and there. And she's in this, and you think, well, with the two of them, this is a mess. This is a really, really weird setup. And surely the domino effect will stop somewhere. The The entire tr- mousetrap won't go off. He's not going to actually drink himself to death, and she's going to save him, and he's going to save her, and they're going to be okay together. And... That would be the Hollywood version, that typically, right? would be the Hollywood yeah. version. There's right. something that he says in the sonnet, too, in the beginning in the bank, where he says something about, like, the woman that the he's sonnet? with, the angel, <laughs> whatever. Like, yeah, the, the, the poem, the the, the weird... It's a drunken, yeah, it's it's a drunken rant. Word. Let's say drunken it's rant. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like beat poetry. It's I love some, the way like, he's, like, in the line, too, and everyone's just standing behind him watching him do this. Oh, my God. so cringy. But... There's something that he says when he's doing that and just going off about how the woman should be naked and her tits drip, dripping with bourbon or something like that. And then there's the scene later where they're say, at the Say the, the whole thing because I beeped out the stuff in the segue. <laughs> so, 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 so in case the audience couldn't figure it out, 
<laughs> there were the, in in that there's the in the pool scene yeah. when they're both drunk and they get out of the pool and he's laying there on the on the chair and she gets on top of him and she takes her top off and it's like the first time you ever see them really intimate together and then she starts pouring all of the whiskey all over her she eroticizes alcohol which is which is right he which can't is even like, think about sex unless there's it a, has there's boobs. a lot to, i realize there's a lot happening in that moment and one he she does that thing that she said she could do which is like i figure out like whatever the desire is correct right and yeah. so she realizes that for him and figures I meet it the out desire. She, yeah. meets, she gets she, there she, figures she gets it him out. to like they're at this pool at this motel in the desert and she she uh is they haven't had sex they they never have sex um and she's like she gets his booze and she's like or she coaxes him into the hotel room with booze then on his way up to the fucking hotel room, motherfucker's so drunk he falls through a glass <laughs> table and cuts the Gosh, fuck that part out of when his he shows back. And then, and then, yeah, as he walks off and in the background, so you just see uh, all the yeah, blood all on the, his back. Like as soon as he yeah. falls and you see all the broken shoulders, you're like, "There's gotta, there's gonna definitely cut himself." I mean, it's it's a really kinda... nice scene up to that point though, because it's almost like an epiphany. It kind of clicks into her head, like this is the way, this is the thing, this is his tell. Like I can get the desired effect by making booze something sexual. Right. And on not just stick. that, but I was the point I was trying to make to, to what you were saying earlier too, uh, about um, how he gets what he wants, you know, like he gets yeah. exactly what he wants. Right. This is a great and, last hurrah for, for what he desires. Right. Yeah, this is exactly yeah. what and he it is, wanted. And it's the death of him. Yeah. She, but, but well, before that, he, I mean, he moves in, he, she gets in the new shirt, she gets in the flask, they go to the casino and they're having a great time. Like he's, he's doing okay. He's doing okay. Yeah. He, he, before before this, he said like you're okay with me now because you haven't seen the worst of me. Yeah. yeah. You haven't seen me when I'm bad, and he's not. He hasn't been bad until like they're at this blackjack table. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. before that though, he he grabs her, he pushes her up against a slot machine, and yeah. and he just he kisses her, and there's this moment where you can kind of see like. She looks worried, like, "Oh God, it's about to do something violent." Yeah, because that, that would probably be the only time she, whenever someone shoves her up against anything, it yeah, probably doesn't it's end. It's going to well. be sexual. Right. It's going to be violent. And what it is, it's passionate. Yeah, like just he just kiss. wants to kiss her. And I mean, I imagine the act of kissing is something she doesn't do all that often, anyways. I mean, I'm sure that is one of the deals: is you don't kiss me on the mouth. Anything else is okay. Literally anything else, if you pay for it, but don't kiss me on the mouth, like that, because that's how I love someone. Because she, she makes it very clear to him when he makes these nasty little comments about like, you know, oh, is, is that what you experience when you're out fucking people? And she's like, you wouldn't know what I do. Like, basically, with you, it wouldn't be that. We would make love. And it has nothing to do with what I do for a living at all. It's something completely separate from that. Like, I have compartmentalized the very idea of lovemaking to you, you drunken buffoon. And I think that in that moment when he kisses her, it, it it does go the right way, but it's sort of a tell when he knocks over the cup of coins and he sort of like buffoons his way into picking up the coins and I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So that one nice little moment is slightly ruined, but it's still there. The idea is still there. And then right after that, they go to the blackjack table and clearly some time has passed and he's just drinking and drinking and drinking and the uh, hostess walks up and asks if they want to drink and she says no he's fine he's fine he's fine she's trying to kind of explain it away and i guess he doesn't they don't have bloody mary mix or something it, and it's, it kind it, of it's, it's really unexpected right because it shows them yeah. like having fun they're 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 having a great time their time Comes together out of nowhere. this is yeah. like one of those 
varied levels that he plays throughout where it's just like out of nowhere he just right he just all of a sudden goes to 10 and it's crazy he he, throws the table over flips the table over and i mean basically he's falling on the ground and and being dragged down by security and you can tell shu is just like fucking crestfallen like just what happened like why does every single thing have to turn to shit everything but she's still accepting she's okay with it and the, uh, in the very next scene, man. he's he comes to after being blacked out, and he's like, I, "What happened?" And she's like, "Ah, we got thrown out. I told him, you know, you were wasted or whatever, and you'll you'll never come back or something like that." And, and, yeah, and what's crazy is she says like, like, "They didn't. I kept them from throwing you out. They let me t- walk you right, out." Yeah, yeah. and so. he's like, "How did you get them to do that?" And he says, "I told them you're an alcoholic." Yeah, that's it. Like, just let's just be deadpan honest. Let's just be completely frank about what the situation is. And let's see where that gets us. And uh, he basically says, you know, you're my angel and all this stuff. And like, basically, you know, what would I do without you? And she gets embarrassed and turns over and says, I'm just using you. Because she doesn't want to be alone either. Mm -hmm. And it is selfish and it is sycophantic in, in its own way. But there is a lot of love there. I mean, either that or it's it's something that's displaced for love. It's hard to really say what it is exactly. But, I mean, by all appearances, this is what love would be to these two people at this point in their it's lives. It's sad because yeah. as, a, as a person doing what she does and what she's used to, and in that monologue that she gives early in the movie, like we were talking about, where she says, you know, I, I figure out how to give a person what they want, what they really desire— and yeah. sort of that's the way she sees love. Yeah, the like, sex, the sex is like, incidental. Basically, it's about the desire, it's right? About, it's about yeah, me, the effect. It, me doing something for you. And so right. that's part. That's a big part of why this is doomed is because she doesn't realize that real love would be you trying to help him. And maybe, and I think it's implied, especially by the time she in the scene where she tries to get him to eat, it's implied that there is real love developing because she is trying to sort of work her way in and try to save him a little bit, right? Yeah. Like, you see it happening. Oh, and yeah. So, oh, absolutely. And so I think she does love him, and that 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 is really developing. Yeah, I think she, for a lot of it, until sometime towards the end, she she's thinking that maybe he won't actually kill himself. Right, or maybe she can stop it. Yeah. Like, maybe this won't actually happen. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he, he's basically the only thing pathetic enough to need her enough not to leave. I mean, he she, he sees her scars, and I think it all kind of clicks into place for him. Because even though she's a prostitute, which he completely accepts, I, I guess at face value, until we get into more specifics about what it is she does, and they're living together, they're, the arrangement, he sees the scars, and up to that point, it's sort of like, you know, what are you doing with me? Like, like what what in God's name brought you to me? How You're an angel from above, you know, you're a seraphim from on high. And he sees the scars, and I think that immediately illustrates to him, you know, oh, you're broken. Like, you, you, you literally, your body literally tells your story. Like, you have been under, like, the knife and the spell of so many different people. Yeah. And, I mean, we can surmise maybe, like, it started with, you know, her dad or a boyfriend or whatever. But she's not that old, and this is so- this is something that is literally a part of her thinking in the end it doesn't really matter it doesn't matter it just shows him he finally sees her for her for what she really is for the first time yeah i I think he sees symmetry in that though i mean she sees that as sort of like a a beautifully destructive thing of 
we just need each other now, but clearly this is doomed. And he sees this and I'm going to die anyways. Like this is fine. And now at least the pieces are in place. It makes sense. Like why you're with me. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing for him necessarily, but probably neutral, just like everything else is to him. Like, I don't think he really sees things as being good or bad at that point. I think it's sort of like, I guess if it makes sense, it makes sense. But if it doesn't, fuck it. I'm going to die anyway. So I just want to enjoy myself. Right. I guess. It's not long after this is when he gets drunk and goes and finds the other prostitute and takes her back. Right. There's, there's one more. There's uh, so this is, (laughs) she goes out. um, uh, Maybe it's the next day. I'm not sure, but I want to talk about the mall. That's where I'm getting to. Okay. okay. Uh, But there's uh, I want to get, do the thing before that she goes out to get groceries or something and then gage also goes out to a bar uh of course and he like he's being very friendly well he gets there and there's this couple that's just arguing and yelling at each other behind him and this this one woman like tries to make her boyfriend jealous and come on to cage and cage is just being very friendly back to her. Um, and then, you know, the guy comes up and punches the fuck out of like, cage. This or seems just to be had, like, their just stick. like this, this is like what they do is yeah. they fight. And like, like these are two people that don't even bother to like have sex unless they pick a fight basically through like jealous commingling. But yeah, but yeah, basically like she goes and she flirts with cage despite her boyfriend and the boyfriend comes over and knocks cage out and uh and he, he come when he goes back home he's just covered in fucking blood yeah just like he's and he's not phased though yeah and she sees it and she's not even uh i guess too worried about it um but she says we need to get you a new shirt so yeah they go to a mall go shopping and they go to a mall and it, this scene basically it's just like a redo of the casino and that it's going so well. They're having such a nice time and they end up in the food court. And this is where he's also kind of like acting almost like a three-year-old who's in an amusement park. Yeah. Too. Like he goes down the wrong escalator yeah, and she he, keeps walking. He's doing like Buster Keaton routines yeah. on the fucking escalators <laughs> and it, I mean, it's charming and it's like, well, what a card this guy is. And they end up in the, uh, the food court and uh, he gives her a pair of earrings and did anybody else happen to notice that this is the only scene he's drinking beer in too? Yeah. Like the only time he's not drinking hard liquor. Oh, in I'm, the sure entire he, I'm, movie. I'm sure the flask is, is, you know, is, that's true. I didn't even think yeah, about it that way. Easily within grasp. But basically she says, uh, you know, I'm just going to wear one at a time. Or maybe he says that. And there's some kind of sentiment behind that, but it's all going okay. And she says, I'll wear them out tonight. Just one. And he leans across the table and he says something really, really fucking despicable. It's a really nasty, mean-spirited thing. And when he sits back, he's not proud or anything. It's just like it, it just happened. It didn't even come out of my mouth, but it happened. And she looks heartbroken by what he said to her. And he can't deal with it. Like, there, there is no, no amount of shame this guy can't deal with. And in that moment, he's like, oh, fuck, I found it. I found I found the peak of what I can't deal with in terms of shame. And he gets up to walk off. And what's really tragic is, I mean, she's saying, like, Ben, don't leave. Don't leave. And this guy just grabs him, this older guy, who's clearly been married for, like, 40 years or something. And he says, you should wait for her. And he says, what? Why? And he says, like, 
she's got it written all over her. Clearly, she loves you. And it's sort of like he just says, uh, like she clearly wants you to. Yeah, stay. she clearly wants you to stay. But th- what the guy's trying to tell him is, is like I'm a I'm a total stranger, and I can see from twenty feet away. You guys fucking belong together. Like there's a lot of feeling here. What are you doing? And that's also kind of a telltale. Like, well, maybe they will. It's it's obvious. Like they need each other. Maybe this will work out. Maybe maybe she'll fix her little broken sparrow, and she'll mend her little wings, and they'll do this together, and everything will be okay, and you know they'll live happily ever after. And uh, it does not go that way. Um, I, I kind of took a uh, took it as like this guy with clearly more experience sees a woman that is clearly in love with him, and he's just walking away and being a dick for no reason. Yeah. And he's picking up on it. Yeah, and he's like, "Don't do this to her, like, because you're walking away from a good thing." Yeah, and. I mean, there is acceptance there. She's not mad. She's not really holding anything over his head about it. She just says, we just need to go away somewhere. I need to, like, not hook. And clearly you have resentment about it. I mean, you you claimed you wouldn't, but you're breaking your own promise. So they go away to the desert hotel, and everything's going okay there. And then they have the, the boo scene where she pours it all over her. And they're almost there. I mean, they're almost at a point where, like, this can be a thing. This can happen. And he gets up and says, let me just grab a little drink. He crashes through a, a glass table. And, I mean, he's uncaring about it. But what's really sad. He even laughs it off. Yeah, he, yeah. Can't, he can't feel he it. No, pain. no, When no, he gets no. up, his back's covered in blood. And... Yeah. Yeah, his shirt's cut to ribbons. It's like the fifth shirt he's fucking ruined. And uh, basically, the, the attendant of the hotel comes out. I guess she owns it. And uh, she helps Shoe start, you know, cleaning up the glass. And she goes, no, no, no. Just watch, watch your little fingers. You don't cut yourself. And she's being nice at first. And what's really sad is she kind of just says, like, you just take your fuck up boyfriend and um, y'all go ahead and do what you got to do. And then um, I'll see you at checkout tomorrow morning. First thing. And so passive aggressive. It's, it's cringy. so yeah. passive aggressive. Yeah. But, but what, so what she's saying is, is like, I see fuck ups all the time. I work at a hotel in the middle of the desert. We don't attract like, you know, playboy billionaires here. This is a place where people disappear. They're fuck ups here. So, I can see you and I can see him and I can tell just by you being approximate to each other, you're both fuck ups because of you or him or whatever. But if you're near this guy, this is chaos. You're fucking up. I mean, there's all these different warning signs. She gets kind of the same warning of get away from this guy as cage does from the old man saying, what are you doing? Go be with this person. So they're both getting like sage wisdom from older, more experienced people that have probably pulled their life together. Like they needed saving at some point. And it's mm-hmm. like there's a balance that you have to maintain. This is right after she fulfills his fantasy, right? Yeah. So it's almost like there's that subtext. There's there. hope. The yeah. subtext of right. like if you did this the right way. You could save each other. Correct. Like, yes. <clears throat> that, and, that, and that's not reading too much into that at all. It is. I, I have figured out how to pick the lock. And now there's a way into the room here. And every single moment with the casino, with the mall, and even with the, the desert hotel, that there's niceness and there's kindness. And it's all elevated. And all of a sudden it comes crashing down. And it's always because of his drunken buffoonery. Every single time. This guy is doomed to die. And it definitely goes that way because yeah. shortly after that, uh, basically, yeah, she goes home. He he wakes up and is 
fucking Nosferatu. God, dude. He <laughs> yeah. is such a fucking man. He's just like shouting in the night and he's shaking. He looks yeah. more like a vampire than he does in Vampire's Kiss. Yeah. yeah. He, he comes walking out of the yeah, bedroom and terrible. she's like she's like cooking stir fry and she just seems so like pleased as punch just to like be be domesticated for a moment and he comes walking in there sauntering in there like, like he's like a geisha with his feet tied together and his arms out like a fucking vampire and sarah 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 just over and over and over and she's like i'm in here ben like i'm making dinner for us and he grabs two fucking handles of vodka <laughs> God. And just walks right back to the bedroom, and then he's okay. It's the for part a where while. he goes in the shower. There's that one scene where it shows him for a second in the shower, and he's there's that rack there for soap bottles. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're shampoo, got, and he's got booze. Yeah, he's got three <laughs> bottles of vodka or something. Yeah. Like Jesus. Well, I mean, he basically he he gets rid of the DTs. He goes and sits down, and she's like, you know, I made you some rice. I made you some white rice. Like, just try to eat something. Like, anything. It's not going to be heavy. It's gonna, it, Birds eat this shit. It's going to be fine. And he's picking around at it. He's picking ice out of his glass with his chopsticks. Mm-hmm. And she says, like, I want you to go see a doctor. Like, go see a doctor. And she has such, like, concern and, like, consternation written all over her face. And he just looks right at her and just says, like, I'm not going to go to a doctor. Like, you silly head. You silly, silly girl. Like, what are you talking about? And that's the moment I think it really hits her. Like, this is actually happening. This is doomed. You are 100% sincere. And it's not like he was being disingenuous. It's not like he was being dishonest with her. If anything, she's the one that's, like, hanging in there for too long. That she's yeah. really fallen in love with him, and now it's going to really hurt because she's yeah. allowed yeah. this to happen. Yeah, and it's not like some big event where she has that realization. It's no. just the way he responds. You know. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's repetition. Yeah, it is like it's like the the steadiness, like how how um like it's it's the most sober thing he's said since yeah. she's known him. It's like I'm not going to do that. Yeah, and like the the tragedies, whether they're big and small, because like the casino is a pretty big one, and the hotel's kind of a smaller one, really. But the tragedies are consistent; they're every day they're together. I mean, there's such like niceness, and like gravity seems to just like kind of leave their presence, and all of a sudden these people are lifted, and then they just come crashing like fucking back down to the earth, and it is it leaves destruction in its wake. So yeah, and I think at this moment he's he's still being. What he is. I mean, this is his element. This He's in his element. He's always up front about it the entire completely. movie. For someone who is as completely blackout drunk as he is all the time, he's always up front about exactly yeah. what he is. When you, when you try and talk about someone earlier about like trying to uh, act drunk and yeah. the secret to it being that you have to pretend to not be drunk. Right. I mean, this character is not even pretending here. No, yeah, it's one aware. of the things that makes it really up. good is that he's like the opposite of that. He's yeah. he's he's admitting to it. He knows exactly what he is, and yeah. he's he's not shying away from it anymore. He's completely no. accepting. No. He is. A, this movie takes place past the point where he would be pretending. Yeah, yeah, and uh, probably him getting fired was the was the yeah. very end. I think the only time sure. only time you really see him like pretending is the beginning when he's trying to get money from Richard Lewis and. 
when he's at yeah, work. When he gets fired. And, and, and that final moment, he's sitting in the desk in front of the boss, and he tries to straighten his tie out a sure. little bit. And he's even then, he's it's, pretending. It's and then, the, the fire where he burns all of his stuff, and he packs the booze in his suitcase. This is my identity. This is yeah. who I am now. I don't need anything. Else. Maybe, I'm that's, drunk. maybe that's part of what makes that moment really nice when he when he cries as soon as his boss says something about him being let go. It's, it's a relief. That's the end. I don't yeah. have to pretend anymore. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, I can shed the husk of the old me away and become what I really am. I, I can like God, metamorphosize. That makes it so much more heartbreaking. Isn't yeah. It? Like, like that's the way he considers like that's him elevating. I mean, like that's him becoming something new, like his true self, which I mean, we could talk about identity for 30 more minutes and like what it means, even if, even if it's detrimental on the surface that really, if this is what you feel is you, then that's all that really matters. And that's literally what he feels is, is like, I, I enjoy this so fucking much. I want to die doing this. I'd rather die doing this all day, every day, than have to refrain from doing it at all. And I've officially right. lost everything that was still left of yeah. my former self, my former life. So they have a falling out. Yeah. And I, th- I think he does this intentionally to spare her. Yeah. Um, because he realizes, like, this when is gonna, she's out it's going to break her heart. So, yeah, she goes out hooking, and and I, I, this is the, the hooker that yeah. keeps reoccurring throughout the movie. Uh, he, she finds him at a casino, blackout, fucking blottoed, and they go back. and uh, To I, her apartment. To her, yeah, her house. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, she catches them. To Elizabeth Shue's apartment, yeah. to clarify. Yeah, and, yeah, I mean, nothing's happened, really, but... He basically did it to make her kick him out to kind of like a Yuri move of you. We don't need to be together because this is it. I've accepted death. I am almost there. And she does. Or he he leaves. Yeah. She kicks him out and he leaves. And And this is the real tragedy for her, right? Is because she now she's in love with him and but she hasn't given up her her job. And so. There's a weird kind of expectation there that it doesn't go both ways, right? Like she does her job, but then is still hurt and heartbroken to see him with another woman. Yeah. And of course. Yeah. He's okay with everything, of course. And not just another but, woman, like someone that does his her job. Right. right. And that just makes it even worse. I mean, I, I think there's probably like a layer there where He's not even considering it cheating because he knows I am so drunk. I couldn't have sex with this person if I wanted to. Exactly. Like sex is not even an element. Like anymore. they aren't. They aren't having sex when she no, shows up. She probably wouldn't even remember the whole encounter. Like no. he's so far yeah, on. They're they're on their way, but like, give it five more minutes. Nothing would have. No, he, would never, he wouldn't be able to get it up. Or no, or something. no, he's you not know. getting anything up. I no, mean, no, that would have been an accordion move. Look, <laughs> she look probably it up. was doing the same thing that the other prostitute was doing at the beginning of the movie. It was probably just going to rob him. The way she puts her his finger in her mouth and then takes the wedding ring off. Yeah, early yeah. on that first night after he borrows the money, which yeah. is. I guess that's probably where most of those situations go for him. At uh, that he, point. He pro- he, maybe he even felt the wedding ring coming off. You just know, didn't give a and shit. And didn't give a shit. Like, yeah. what am I going to do with it? Pawn it? <laughs> right. Like, that, that may actually be painful to me. That's the only me. thing you know, he would have thought about. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, now that you pointed out, it's, it's interesting that he would go beg for money from the last people willing to give it to him. And it's embarrassing. But he wouldn't pawn his wedding ring. Well, he really think about it. Well, you always you keep asking until all the bridges are burned, and then you start because once you start selling all your own stuff, 
That's it. That's that's I'm sure the it's last probably hurrah. worth a lot of money though. So yeah, probably he, you would think he probably would have done that first. Yeah, maybe. I mean, he clearly, you think he would sell all of his clothes? I'm sure he has nice like designer outfits and all that. Sell all that shit. Don't burn it. The burning, I think, is more symbolic than it is like right. of monetary yeah, gain. Like I'm not taking all this shit with me. As you say, the husk is being shed. Yeah. Right. And that, that's probably why we don't see how much the actual severance check is, because it's not important. It's enough money for him to kill himself with with booze. Yeah. Like, I literally know which groceries to buy to make the recipe for death. And it's like, get some nice bottles and then get a fuckload of cheap bourbon. And that will be it. Those he will says, be the last ones. He says to Elizabeth Shue in that, that first night when he tells her up front, I'm going to drink myself to death. And she says... Something about like how when is that going to be or something, and he says I think it'll be about four weeks. Yeah, yeah. He's and got the timeline. Like he's he's done the math in his head. Like he this is how, how much money I have. This is how long I'm going to have to do it. Yeah, this I, is the state my body is in now. Right. Yeah, <laughs> and with no like basically no water and no food, this is what the body could do. This is how it could like sustain itself. I'm going to like atrophy and then die. And then have this is how much I have to spend with that yeah. severance. Yeah, so at this point in the movie, um, somehow it gets even more depressing. Because, um, I mean, there's there's like... Because so it's been he, such he, a he joy away, so far. Yeah. He goes away, and you don't see him again no. until the end of the movie. Uh, he's He's gone. We're on... This is kind of pr- goes back to the point that this is really a Elizabeth Shoes movie, or at least... Yeah, she's you know, kicked him out. She's... We're all on her. She's heartbroken, and then she continues to go out and hook... And finds herself in a really awful situation where she gets she gets asked to go back to a hotel room. Yeah, these fucking right? like kids. They're I mean, I guess I guess they're eighteen. Frat guys, they're frat guys some college yeah. kids. Frat yeah, guys. and they're all trying to encourage her to sleep with one of the guys there. That there's a virgin, and they want to film it him losing his virginity. Right, and, um, and you know, to we don't have to get too in the weeds of it, but it goes poorly about the way you feel that it's gonna go as soon as it starts yeah it's it's not one of those typical scenes where you see a hooker screw three frat guys with a panasonic video camera in a hotel room um this actually goes really really bad i mean for not (laughs) i'm just trying to fucking lift it a little bit details it turns into a rape it's a rape and she she gets in a taxi after it's like the next morning or later yeah, that night. Yeah, she, she gets in a taxi. I mean, it, it, it's a, it's a, and like the, it's she's, mostly off screen, but it, there's violence and I, I, all rape is violent, but I mean, there's actual like, she's punched in the head, punching yeah. violence with this. And, um, and it, and it cuts away from it pretty quickly yeah, after they, they group away from her. The, but Im- the, the implications thing, plenty. The worst, I mean, not the worst part, but like the thing that just makes it worse is, you know, she gets in the cab. She's shamed by the cab driver. I Xander forget, Berkeley. Yeah, yeah, Xander Berkeley. I forget exactly what he says, but I know it's like not nice. It's judgment. He, he says, I noticed, by the way, you sat down that you probably yeah, had a rough yeah. night. Like maybe maybe you should keep your the you know the back door closed more often or something like that. I mean yeah. he's he's being very yeah, nasty, it's so nasty. Yeah, it's like a, it is just insult to like pretty serious injury. And then she gets she gets home and she takes a shower and her on her way home like her neighbors who have been very like nosy and obviously judgmental uh, but sort of nice about it see her coming in but she comes home she takes a shower and she's just curled up and you know you were talking earlier like there's yeah this this is probably the hard this was the hardest scene to watch in my opinion is it shows her 
sitting curled up in the shower and she's clearly shamed and broken and alone just, alone and there's, is, is the, the and the, the shower and there's just there. there's blood everywhere yeah and it's so awful like it just said the implication of how how rough of a night it was for her is just so sad it, and there's there is a lot of order to her life i mean we haven't really talked about it but her house is pretty nice i mean her house she, is nicer than you'd expect it's it a be. lot nicer i mean there's there's a lot of she, she lives a in a books. nice community it's, and living in vegas too so it's got to be pretty expensive yeah, real estate she's she's doing pretty well for herself i mean she has style and she has some grace about like her interior living and all that i mean she's she's not just some dummy that's like living in squalor i mean she has a lot going on for herself and at this point you really see her at her lowest i mean she's kind of just wandering around looking for cage and I mean, even the way she's dressing and like sort of uh, uh, e- even her body language, like with her just sitting on the curb, she looks homeless. She's well, not she, even homeless. She gets yet. kicked out. Well, at the end, she, she has one more week. So she she does go back to her apartment because that's where yeah. Cage calls her. Yeah. And this is also when she she goes into the casino, right? And she doesn't even get into the front door. The no. bouncer walks up and no. is like, get the hell out of here. You don't want your no, she, she basically yeah, has like like the ghost of Cage on her. Like this guy, his presence in her life, even though it's been brief, has like left a stink on her or something. Like it's become something you can like see or sense from, from way off. It's changed her, right? It, it's absolutely like, changed yeah. her. Yeah. Because because she got involved, I guess I don't know. Like people people can read the room easier with her in it now, and it's almost like love has tainted what she does. Yeah, now it, she it, can't do it anymore. It got complicated. Yeah, but yeah, basically Cage calls her and says, "I need to see you." He knows it's the end. And yeah, it's time. She goes to his hotel room, and uh, I mean, he's there. I mean he he is spasming. Um, he's still drinking, of course, but he can barely reach the bottle at this point. He he doesn't even open the door. I don't think it's just open and she walks in. Yeah, this is he's in bed, right? I mean, next yeah, to her in the shower to me was the second most graphic part of the movie. I mean, the way yeah. he is in the bed, just shaking, like clearly in his final moments, like he is so ridden with alcohol poisoning it's and awful. lack of any other like nutrients in his body no. or even water, like. No, 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 and, and and basically, she that that is a very specific moment and specific turn, like for the performance of Shu, because this is a moment where that character is completely accepting of not just who he is and what decisions he's made, but where it's gotten him, and the end result is he's going to die. This is what he wants, and I'm going to be accepting of everything leading up to this moment and the moment itself. She becomes like it, a hospice nurse. At yeah, that point. his lover and his like hospice she, nurse. She knows that it, it's all too late, right? And the only thing I can do now is do what we set to do. Yeah, find some yeah. kind of value in the tragedy of this thing. But at least there were events leading up to the tragedy, I guess. I, I, I don't really know how to word that because this is such like a singularly strange, specific moment on film. And uh, they do have sex. Um Somehow, she, <laughs> I, yeah. he, he he does get one more lewd comment off of "Look out, see how hard you make me, Angel," and she gets <laughs> yeah, on top of that. him. And, and what's what's crazy about this sex scene is, is it's not like there's any thrusting. The spasms, the death spasms, are the thrusts, and she's basically just sitting on top of him. Yeah. And there is some sort of finality to this: of you're dying of alcoholism, and we're making love. And we both got what we wanted out of this. 
and it's tragic, but there's some kind of simplicity and beauty in the moment. I don't fucking know. Th- it's, it's upsetting is what that, it is. That moment after where she's rolled over and is asleep and he's in his literal f- final moments, he rolls over, he sees her yeah. and he just goes, wow. And then rolls over yeah. and dies. Has a death rattle. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> I still can't figure That's out what to, make, escaping. what to make of that really. Like, was it supposed to be sad or was it supposed to be hopeful? Like, I, I no, horrifying. it's kind of ambiguous. I mean, I think uh, the wow is like, even, even when I am at the point of death, I am blown away by the idea of you. Like, despite all your flaws. That's kind of what I wanted to take out of it, I that's think. That's why but, not. Yeah, it's yeah. like that maybe he he realized, like, I didn't deserve this, and I got it anyway. Well, hey, let's ask the chef. Let's ask the chef what, what he thought uh, of the meal when he was making it. Oh, wait, we can't because John O'Brien fucking killed himself with a gun two weeks after this book became a movie. Damn. After his script. So, <sighs> why does that not surprise me? Jesus Christ! Bit. Okay, well, I've so I, I've heard a couple of different like timings on that, but like it's I, there. There's one source that says two weeks after his script store sold, and there's one source that says like two weeks after production started. Uh, Mike Mike Higgins says it's it was after production started, but there's also a source yeah that says and, otherwise. And, but, and basically, he he went ahead and made the movie anyways, and the guy's honor, even though it's not dedicated to him in any way. I don't think that this guy wanted well, this that, made. Well, that's kind of I was looking for that. There isn't a dedication to him, though. Even though, like he said, we're gonna when uh, the guy killed himself, uh, committed suicide, and my kid has said we'll finish the movie, and it'll be like a nice dedication to him, which. It's not, but yeah, there's not of like. Of course, an, there's not. There's no, not because a not. bunch of people looked at it and went like, "Well, this is super artsy because he died and it's sad, and we're gonna make a fuck." But ton there's of money. not like an yeah. in memory of title slide at the end either. So it's like, no, there's none. Clearly, of that. they weren't doing that. So I did look something up. John O'Brien. I was thinking, this is the writer, by the way. I was thinking, like, this guy is probably like this long suffering, like. This guy wrote amazing stuff and he tried to really push art into the world, but he just couldn't get past his own demons. And I'm sure there's like lots of like great books and scripts and this and this and it's like this long storied career. The one credit this guy has is Rugrats. He wrote a few really? episodes of Rugrats. Yeah. That's it. Th- this is the funny part with uh, like how his bit of Rugrats went. He got the job from, I think his brother-in-law or something. Um, and like he hated it though because <laughs> he he wrote these scripts and he hated the changes that the studio that Nickelodeon wanted to make. Yeah, why so. is Stu Pickle so fucking hot? No dad looks like that. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> like uh, he was probably writing these fucking artistic. It was probably sad. Rugrats. It was probably so yeah, sad. sad. It was uh, probably like episode heady. about Dee Dee and Stu getting a divorce. Yeah, and yeah. Like, you can't do this. Like, this one's like if it was babies, but in an Ingmar Bergman film. <laughs> <laughs> like what? If, what if Chucky plays chess with death in this episode? Yeah, this is Autumn Sonata with. Uh, <laughs> What if Tommy? Angelica what if, what if and, Tommy wanders into the basement, finds Stu on a on a with an invention that's clearly broken, doesn't work, and he's just passed out on the ground with a bottle of vodka? Like, yeah, come on. And then what if he kept drinking the vodka till he was fucking dead <laughs> and left his family in financial ruin? They were like, yeah, I don't think we're gonna go with that. That's more of a Ren and Stimpy sort of <laughs> script treatment. <laughs> but yeah, basically, this guy worked on Rugrats, and I guess he was like, you know, Hollywood's full of fucking fake. And he 
killed himself after he wrote what a strange Lost. project it's to be very on, none of it makes any sense the Congrats, whole thing is so hopeful and so full of life absolutely <laughs> the, book, yeah. the book i believe is like based on you know actual stuff from his life yeah i, I um, I'm, I'm sure i didn't look into it much but i'm sure the guy had yeah. substance abuse issues I that. someone probably it probably came up putting a dedication in there for them but i bet can you imagine like the people watching the like for your consideration academy screenings and at the end there's a dedication to the author of the book you're like this was already horribly depressing you just killed like any probably the notes yeah it's how do we advertise this thing you can't like yeah this is you're you're you you want to advertise making a crap ton of money on this every preview that i looked up to try to make for the segue they were just riddled with like you know Eight eight Oscar nominations, leaving Las Vegas, best actor, best actress, because they couldn't show anything from the film, so they just have like like a moody like like jazz like sax score, yeah, show, showing them dancing, right. walking the aisle, yeah, yeah, where it's kind of like artsy and sort of like, ooh, this is this this is ninety five independent, you know, like oh, th- this is this is like one of those like kind of art artisan type films, and they're basically just saying like all the accolades it got. It's kind of like when you have a shitty movie and you're like you know from the executive producer of this and right you have it, to throw back to something else right like like the boondock saints three or something it's like from the people who brought you this and it's like that guy was there for one day and he catered like you can't just put all that shit on there to make it sound like it's better than what it is yeah, it's, it's, it, it's probably it's sleazy as leaving las vegas itself but i'm sure it's like well we're not gonna fucking make money on right. this if you advertise that this is a very strange movie. I mean, I guess we need to try to end on a nice note. So I, I did want to ask if you were going to think Dalton <laughs> <laughs> looks, it feels the way Nicolas Cage looks in that movie right now. Right now? Uh, yeah, right now. Yeah, I, well, I think every day. <laughs> yeah, without the charisma or the charm. I am yeah. talking about the end of the movie. Or, or being interesting. We yeah. went over to his house last time and he had the shakes, okay? I'm just saying. He didn't have enough sausage. Not Mountain Dew. Yeah, yeah. he had it every time. Hey, look, he had the shakes, and he had to go over to that meat and cheese tray to get normal again. (laughs) (laughs) I could eat a sausage tray for hours. So let me ask you this. If you were going to kill yourself with something you love, what would it be? Anyone that wants to go first can go first. I'll wait. Man, I don't know. Kill yourself with something you love. Yeah, like if you were to do something to death, what would it be? Probably game. That's the first thing that video game came to my head. You'd yeah, be like like one of those kids, like in Asia, you see, like at those internet cafes, just like lean back in a chair. Well, okay, from a fucking so I'll put, it, I'll put it to you this way: God, I get such how a do you headache. picture retirement? You know, like. I see myself at... I, how do I picture it? I pick, About three years from now. <laughs> I, I beat you to it. Damn it. <laughs> see, that's why we need Dalton here, man. Yeah, yeah. he's already planning it. Um, that, I mean, when you're 92 years old and probably living in a home because that's where your family's going to inevitably put you, right? Like, what do you see yourself doing? Like, I mean, like, that's what you I think you're going to be mean, playing video games now, at 90 years I'm old? I'm talking about now. I would now. hope so. You're going like, to have the eyesight for that? I'm going to find a way <laughs> if I have to wear like those crazy looking bifocals that have like four lenses, in fucking them, Magoo glasses. Yeah. yeah he's going to have telescopes on his head. <laughs> so they're gonna, He's no, going to be no. sitting five feet back and they're going to be touching you, the screen. You're changing this into being like, well, I had 92 nice years. 
I mean now. I mean like in your 30s. Well, if it's yeah, like, I, mean, I wouldn't it. want to kill myself doing anything, but it's... If but you if you imagine, like, to. what do you want to do when as you're dying, uh, if you put it that way? But, I mean, like, like if you have okay. three weeks and you get to pick one thing, like, you're on a desert island or a space station or whatever, and it's like, in three weeks, I'm going to fucking blast myself out of, like, the airlock. But for three weeks, I get to have one thing with me. Indulgence. And, yeah, and it's pure indulgence. This is all you do, and you get to lean right into it. What would it be? Like, it, it just, the, yeah. the, this is a, the result of death is... Uh, caused by well, something that you love. No, no, I haven't had your homemade ice cream that's in my freezer yet, so I, it's probably going to oh, be yeah, I already know what your answer is, eating yourself to death, because you are a big <laughs> fucking... You are pearl <laughs> from blade. Dude, this is so tight at this table right now. Mm. <laughs> I was going to do a few things with that, yeah. but... No, well, go on, pick one. Jesse, go ahead. What's your answer? Well, you go ahead and lead, because uh, uh, oh god, I already know sure mine is. I love dogs. I would I would be ripped apart by dogs. Ripped apart by dogs? Yeah, it's, it's painless. N- not like what? Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> think about it. Wait a minute. Well, yeah, don't, I don't <laughs> think about it, but I like, think about it. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, you know, like, it's tearing my throat out, and it's great. It'd be fine. Yeah. It'd be fine. I don't think it'd be that bad. I think it's pretty painless. Jesse, how about you? <laughs> you, do you want to is there anything you it's funny add i was that? gonna say ripped apart by cats uh, yeah really? oh, jesus christ wolf. that sounds awful that sounds horrific <laughs> you're fucking nuts what is wrong you're with living you? on the edge man oh yeah we're, hey we're just talking about leaving las vegas here don't go into weird dark places you can't come out of god man I... that's his that's where he sleeps i don't know i i, I don't know you know that's uh that's a difficult question, and I don't know how to answer. But people just unsubscribe from the podcast because you're like, this guy doesn't even fucking know how he wants to excess himself to death. Yeah, I thought if you didn't feel it, he's like, well, these kids are starting to kill me. Would be free falling. Like free falling would be an interesting way to die. Yeah, yeah, uh, because yeah, would, that'd, be, that'd be a good way to go. Yeah, yeah you probably die like. In the air, you right. know what? Hey, you that's a great answer. A heart attack. Take all your money and max out your credit cards and go skydiving a bunch of times. That way, you can at least enjoy it and be like, "This is fucking amazing." And it's like, if I die, if something doesn't work, yeah, and then, then you just die, die anyways. Like, but then, yeah. when you run out of money, it's like, "Fuck it!" I'll just at this point, I've already done it like a hundred times. I'll just jump. I don't give <laughs> yeah. a shit. Yeah, I'm used to the feeling of free falling. That's a great answer, actually. It's painful. I mean, it's not like as painless as being ripped apart by dogs. Well, but they it's say nice. that it, when that happens, you actually panic, and the panic will kill you before the the actual impact does. Free falling? Yeah. So if you like the people who jump out of buildings and shit like that, yeah, like they're dead before they hit the ground because you had a heart attack before you. I've always heard happened. like the the pressure of the air or something is like concrete after falling. So from what do you know about air pressure? Um, <laughs> what do you know about air resistance? Uh, well, then why wouldn't you die? It doesn't, when you uh, it doesn't apply to me. Uh, I don't know. Because you hit, I'm not you would a hit, physicist, well, Jesse. So you would hit terminal velocity, right? So you get to a point where it's just you're going that speed, right? You're just that's where you are. Correct. And but if, if the closer you get to the ground, will make you panic. That's the way I always heard it, anyway. Like it's a flood it's of wrong. adrenaline that basically exactly. just shuts your yeah, heart it's, down. It's the adrenaline that kills ways. you. I like yeah. to be eaten by a whale. Yeah? Yeah. Pinocchio style? Yeah. Is, is there anything bigger <laughs> than you? Huh? Is there anything bigger than you in, in existence, though? 
<laughs> How big is this well you're talking coming. about? Keep them coming. <laughs> I'm going to be like, hey, guys, I got to use the restroom. I'm just in the yeah. bathroom, like, looking at my stomach. I, oh, gross. But, yeah, no, I, I would say I'd say either uh, get ripped, or, ripped apart by dogs or drink myself to death over a month. You really think getting ripped apart by dogs would be painless? 100%. Why? I just don't Because I like dogs. Why yeah, would but I? Yeah, like, how is that different from, like, being Are you mauled? actually indulging me on this? Yeah, are you, are you really begging the he question? I am. I've known you for 10 years, and you're like, I can't tell if Mike's joking or not. <laughs> I don't feel this fucking is your serious answer. Anything, dude. Like it's all just jokes. It's all just ribbing. Every bit of it. <laughs> I didn't even watch Leaving Las Vegas. Was I right about the shit that happened in this movie? <laughs> Actually, <laughs> I looked at the. I looked at the <laughs> oh back shit! Of... It's about a drunk, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I was just telling stories from my own personal life when we used to go make movies together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I used to. Uh, I used to indulge in the alcohol a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. A little Mike bit. was. I don't think bit. I knew him when he like was sober. You would never be yeah. as bad as Nick Cage yeah. is in this movie. And so, oh, hold on. So you, you, you get, <laughs> hey, so you hold get like on. an hour and a half into leaving Las Vegas. The guy's doing fine. Everything seems to be going his way. I mean, things are looking up. And out of nowhere, all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, fuck, where'd this rain cloud come from? Yeah. And he dies of alcohol poisoning. It's like, this seems normal. What you can die from that? Yeah, no. He, hey, he's he's you know he's patronizing the arts. Uh, there's one a prostitution. Thing, the there's oldest one thing profession. We can agree is that he's a good man and he's yeah. going, he's going places. It is proof that all you need is good nature, good humor, and a little bit of humor and charisma, uh, and the world's your oyster. You said humor twice. Yeah. Are you drunk? I am drunk right now. I think, <laughs> <laughs> I am, but I am funny. Yeah. You look on his arm, that tattoo on his arm is missing like the end date. <laughs> I, I look like fucking memento on my body yeah. from all the dates I've scratched out from when I quit drinking. Yeah. But yeah, um, no, that, I guess we can end on that note. Um, this is going to be the last episode uh, ever. ever. Yeah, uh, this is a hell of a thing to have rolled on our fourth. If you um, watch this movie, get ready because it's, it's not a pleasant ride. Yeah, but it is a good movie. It's yeah. a good movie. There's there's some kind of funny parts in it sometimes. Yeah, if you have the right kind of humor, or yeah, if you're drunk. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Being drunk, I feel like would almost make it worse. It's like shameful. Is it? I would be if I was drunk watching that. I movie, mean, I think I think you would just go like, "Well, I'm not that drunk." <laughs> <laughs> I would look at that beer and probably pour it out. I'd be like, oh, hey, God, yeah, this is terrible. Yeah, I, I don't think anyone who watches this movie is going to go like. Well, good thing I watched that. Now I can go listen to an hour and a half conversation with three fucking idiots about leaving Las Vegas. It's one of those you'd have to have a palate cleanser after. You're like, I can't fucking go to sleep now. Yeah, after watch a cartoon. That. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of cartoons. Yeah, that's a good Want to head to the next one? Yeah, let's head to the next segment. Change it. Every Tuesday night is still Kids Land at Pizza Hut. Kids get a free personal pan pizza when grown-ups order their pizza. Why do you deserve Kids Night at Pizza Hut? Because you're a kid. Pretty kitty calico, you know that I love you so. With your fur so soft and fair, I will get you everywhere. <laughs> All right, we're back. We we're talking about The Critic, episode uh, six from season two, All the Duke's Men. So go watch that shit if you want to be clued in at all about what we're actually talking about here. 
Uh, the Critic was a show starring John Levitz that ran from 94 to 95. Uh, it was created by Al Jean and Mike Rice, who both wrote and produced for The Simpsons. Uh, the Critic is a very Simpsons-adjacent show. Uh, agreed? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, very much. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it not was... it's not quite as sharp as The Simpsons, but no. it, it's 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 telling more like a more specific story. It's sort of like Simpsons via like Woody Allen, New York in a way, right? Is that... It was really hit or miss for me. Yeah. Like some of it yeah. was funny, other parts of it were either too much or not enough. I thought there were a number of jokes that it seemed like they they, they were clever and they were funny. And then they they just kept going with it. Well, like there, was they a lot of, there was a punchline. There was a lot of current humor, though. It was it was a very and political. Then that too. It's, time. It's, yes. It is the most probably the most politically driven cartoon comedy I think I've watched. That episode is. I don't think. I mean, yeah, it is yeah. about an election, so that I'm sure made it that much more that way. But yeah, I mean, it was it, it, so many is, top political topical jokes. This is during '95. I mean, this is aired during '95 at the height of the Clinton Dole Ross Perot yeah, campaign. And so there's so, so many jokes about that. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. It, it's it's that through the lens of like uh, all the King's Men, basically through like a satirical political lens. Essentially, is what this is. It's a good episode. Um, it uh, is. It's a. I mean, it's not not relevant today with like billionaires running for presidents and funding okay, so their own did anybody shit. else immediately go well yeah, the very opening shot I, with the I, twin towers clearly in the background and from the very what beginning you, what, do you, what do you mean in the very opening shot where you see the title you can see the you can see the towers in the background why would that be a problem <laughs> he really hates seeing them now <laughs> in, a, in a 90s podcast why would that be a problem explain it explain it to me i don't understand yeah, we don't go past ninety nine. Yeah, since we only go to ninety nine, why why would that be an issue? I don't I don't get it. I don't get the reference. Everybody loves them. I don't understand. Maybe, maybe your yeah. humor is too smart for me. I don't understand it. Yeah, and it's it's probably a deeper cut than I can get into. Oh man, no, but, but yeah, it is a political uh, episode, kind of, sorta, and uh, I don't think we're equipped to really talk about that and and how it could apply to today. And the rules are that if you're not equipped to talk about anything political, then you definitely can't do it on a podcast and you can't do it on social media. So um, I guess we can't cover that, can we? I mean, this is all opinion. I think it's right. I, I, just think a, that, I think I, the similarities are just kind of obvious. I'm being silly. It, listen, I, I think all the King's Men, the, the novel and all the film adaptations of it, it's a timeless thing because it's basically showing that no matter how incorruptible and like earnest and good natured you are, if you want to rise to a point of power where you can make a difference for the greater good, you have to become corruptible to do it. That's essentially what the story's telling. I mean, it's something that goes back even to ancient Rome and Shakespeare and a few other things. All the great writers have tried to like tackle this conversation and it happens in this, but it's already got it's completely corruptible and is Donald Trump adjacent. I mean, e even the way they wrote Duke, it's a guy that basically sort of rose from a humble business owner, of he's a, 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 chicken and, a chicken and waffle guy, and he's just an <laughs> idiot, to being like Ted Turner, essentially. And, and he's a yeah. billionaire. So, yeah. like, honestly, I thought one of the funniest jokes and a perfect example of what I'm talking about in terms of the way it delivers punchlines and how it's kind of hit or miss. One of the funniest jokes in the episode was he makes some comment to him about the Duke does to John Lovett's character. Like, what is his name? Is it John? What is the main character's name? The critic? 
God, <laughs> Jesus, she always asks the hard hitting questions. <laughs> um, anyway, point is, he he says something to him about like this is the name. average person's salary being three hundred thousand dollars a year. Jay, Jay, Jay Sherman, yeah, Jay Sherman. God. Yeah, he says he says to Jay, he says like, you, well, you know, the average person's salary being three hundred thousand dollars a year, and he looks at him and he goes. The average person's salary is not, and like his assistant interrupts him and goes, duh, 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 duh. Yeah. "Can I have an advance on my salary for this year?" And he goes, "Sure, yeah, of course, no problem." He yeah. gives him the money, and she goes, "So long," and leaves. <laughs> that had me laughing. And then they followed it up with her on the beach and saying something to a person there, and it just kind of fell flat. And I thought you didn't even need to have this moment in it. It was already funny. No, no. Uh, yeah. I mean, basically, uh, this episode is about uh, Jay Sherman's kid, Marty. Um, who is running for class president uh, at the local school and Jay helps Marty write his campaign speech and he's giving a speech and he's appealing to all the sensibilities of like all the minority kids at the school and showing how cultural he is and he's like reaching out to every yeah, he's, out group. He, he's a man of the people. And I love the moment where he, um, he's speaking the different languages and he says something to the Easter Island kid who just has like a big rock head and when he nods an acknowledgement he just falls forward and you just hear like fucking rocks crumble and like roll up like his whole head just like burst into pieces and the kid's dead now <laughs> that's pretty good but yeah basically um duke catches wind of like how great of a speech writer jay is and he says like fuck i'm gonna run for president like why not it's something to do and of course duke played by Charles Napier, Charles Napier, man, who fucking great. steals the show, man. Yeah, he's, steals yeah. it. He everything he deli- really all of his delivery is great. He's so funny. Yeah, I mean Charles. It's weird that Charles Napier, who I mean, goes back to the Blues Brothers. Yeah, and, I, I mean, mean it's Silence of the Lambs. He's he's a fucking standout in Silence of the Lambs. At the end of that, so I knew he was really like, good. I, immediately when I heard his voice, I recognized him as being the sheriff on Squidbillies. Squid yeah. I was like, okay, so like, this is a, like this guy. And then as soon as I realized who it was, I was like, man, this guy was in everything back then. Yeah. And Charles Napier ruled. He was in a bunch of the Ernest movies, I think. Yeah. And mm-hmm. he's, um, he's got such a great voice. I mean, yes, just such really like a does. standout voice. And such great delivery. He, yeah, it's, he, he, sound, he sounds like if, if Merle Haggard was a fucking, like, uh, a voiceover actor, basically. Like, he just yeah, has, like, this yeah. really, like, like distinct, like, iconic voice. Uh, some of the other voices in here are Christine Cavanaugh, who does Chucky from Rugrats, um, and Babe the Pig and all that. Oh, wow. That yeah. does Marty's voice. Yeah. I think Christine Cavanaugh passed away, like, two years ago or something. Really? Yeah, yeah I, think so. I think so. Yeah, kind of young, too. I mean, not, yeah. Now that you uh, say that, that 40s. sounds familiar. Yeah, it's a shame. Uh, Tress McNeil, uh, who did, like, she Babs Bunny. She died in 2014. Okay, yeah. Tress McNeil does Babs Bunny and Dot from Animaniacs, and she does a bunch of stuff on The Simpsons. She does Skinner's mom's voice in The Crazy Cat Lady. She does quite a few voices on The Critic. Uh, and then Nancy Cartwright, uh, who did Bart's voice and all that. She yeah. does various voices on. Um, so, I mean, this is very, very much in line with The Simpsons. And, I mean, they even did a crossover with The Critic at one point on The Simpsons. I think, like, the way they lead it on is um, Bart's watching TV. And it says, like, and when we return from commercials, the Flintstone meets the Jetsons. And he says, oh, God, another crappy cartoon crossover. And Homer <laughs> walks in with Jay. Uh, yeah. So they, I think that was after The Critic That's had ended. Seen that. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's uh, it's always been sort of like... It was supposed to be kind of an heir apparent to The Simpsons and give some creative outlets to those guys who felt, I guess, pigeonholed with The Simpsons. And this thing got booted around all over the place. I mean, it started on Fox. It ran like one season, I think. And then Fox didn't want to pick it back up, even though I think it was kind of positive ratings. They just aired it at a weird time. It was like Friday night or something. 
Like they put it on a really, really weird time. And I can see how it being in competition slot. with The Simpsons probably didn't help it. Just yeah. because, like, it's funny that it, you're, when you say about it being kind of like on where it is with The Simpsons, because when I was watching it, I kind of got the impression like something about the joke style and format felt more like a precursor to Family Guy to me than The Simpsons. Yeah, it makes sense. It yeah, does. like it, it has that kind of like randomness to it a little bit even though they're more topical jokes than like what something like family guy would do yeah which is more like more like the simpsons trying to be topical but it it just it wasn't quite as like timeless as the simpsons is no 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 i mean the simpsons is like such like a fine finely honed razor sharp thing and this is a little bit more of the time it's not quite as like broad I yeah, guess. like kind of just general ideas about things, like yeah. the way Simpsons does. Whereas this, like, this is a, it, it'll make a joke about something that won't make sense because it's very clearly about something very specific in the nineties, and that it just it's like I don't know where this came from. I and, mean, it, and it'll do it, and it'll deliver it in a way that's like this is like that time in that in that family joke in that Family Guy style where it it just kind of is random. And so yeah. it'll be just a random joke that appears, and you're like, I don't know what this is about. Well, it's, but... it's also like punching up at a lot of politicians that had like a lot of weird idiosyncrasies, like Bob Dole and Ross right. Perot, yeah. and like Mike yeah. Dukakis, and, it's and like... it'll just be out of nowhere. It'll just yeah. it'll just all of a sudden poke fun at something like that, and you'll be like, okay, like I see what it's doing. Yeah, and it's. Uh... I, I guess that was a pretty iconic presidential campaign run but when you think about like getting into the bush years and like you said post 9-11 and all that these became very like specifically galvanizing times for american people i mean it almost seems like this is a friendly sort of fun silly presidential race back in 96 this didn't seem like all that dire it's like well what's the worst thing going on like the economy i guess i don't fucking know this is clearly a time when politics were not nearly as polarizing right it's like oh we're just poking fun at at everything they're basically just saying it's three idiots it's three idiots i mean they even do the the bit where when duke was running for president he's trying to persuade jay to to write for him and he takes him to phillips land which is like his disney park kind of thing and he's got the uh, the presidential like animatronic things, and they're silhouetted at first. And it's like the spotlight sort of like talks about each one. It's like Abe Lincoln and mm-hmm. someone Aaron Burr or something like that comes on and says something. But you can tell from the get go, there's like this big like why like Wario looking fucking silhouette. It's like what is that? <laughs> and it's just this hillbilly bear with a banjo. And it says, "Hi, I'm Bill Clinton." It's like a Chuck E. <laughs> Cheese thing. Yeah, yeah, it's like something from Chuck E. Cheese. And he's like, "That's just one of your hillbilly bears. That's not Bill Clinton." He goes, "No one's." notice yeah <laughs> yeah that was a good one yeah i mean there, there are some really really good uh some good bits in there um I, I love it when uh duke goes to talk with bob dole though and bob dole has the incriminating evidence on him and he just has a tape of him singing to his cat he's reading from yeah. pretty kitty calico <laughs> oh, yeah and he starts crying and what's so great about it like why it works as a joke is it's not so much he caught him like in a vulnerable moment but like napier's delivery there it doesn't sound like he's He's fake crying. It sounds like he's genuinely breaking <laughs> yeah, he's down. Really, really caring. Yeah, like, like they caught him like in his like in his dressing room doing this. Like this wasn't. I mean, you you could go a lot less in on the crying bit, and it would still be funny. Right. But he sounds like he's breaking as a person. Like his <laughs> yeah. heart is in half reading to this fucking cat. <laughs> it's really really good. I, in fact, I think that there's not every episode it's not like a running joke but i think that like multiple times through the two seasons of the critic duke cries 
like if it's one rolling tear or if it's like a full like mental breakdown duke it has like this heart of gold he just can't help but like tear up at the slightest thing even right. though he's like this guy made of stone he's like that's a the, guy. that's the joke right because he's yeah, yeah. gruff yeah, he's, he's just muscly a, rich guy big rich idiot yeah yeah um I do like uh, Jay kind of akinning Duke to like Ronald Reagan and he's remembering Reagan being sworn in and he's saying, you know, like, I solemnly swear to goof off and eat candy. (laughs) He just falls asleep immediately starts snoring like at the podium with his arms still raised and you just hear the American people yelling like, four more years! Four more years! I mean, this is like a very like cynically written thing it is and 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 some of the political jokes do really land even now like they're still funny even as topical as they are like it probably would have been even funnier like in the 90s when that was still a really hot oh, yeah. topic yeah yeah and i'm sure so, i, yeah, I, I still be funny. this time but when this used to come on because it came on comedy central way later like they picked it up and they just ran it like every thursday and sunday night or something and I got to a point in my childhood where I was maybe 11. I got to stay up like an hour later. It was that point where like, you don't have to go to bed at nine. You can go to bed at 10. And like at 930, that was like, that was it. You knew it was coming to an end. And at 930, uh, Comedy Central would play The Critic. And there were only two seasons. So you saw the same like 45 or whatever there are all the time. But that was like the magical time for me of getting to watch The Critic, which is kind of a more like adult Simpsons. It's not as accessible as it's the Simpsons. It's more uh, not necessarily intelligent, but you know the the jokes are more uh, learned. I it, guess it feels more like it's written for an opening monologue of a late night show. Yeah, it feels more like yeah. make, make some presidential jokes. The Simpsons is geared more towards like general like American life, right? General Whereas American life, but like, also like uh, more juvenile. Yeah, and, yeah. I think that's fair. Like it's yeah. got smart jokes, but um, a lot yeah, of the very sort of, smart show, there's all, but it's most not, of the stuff that you know these jokes a teenager are, likes the, can like that show, right? And these are clearly trying to be more highbrow political jokes. Yeah, yeah. highbrow. Yeah, Duke, Duke goes to the NRA meeting, and he's basically saying like one of the first things I'm going to do is try to ban put put a stop uh, or some gun control on like cop killing assault <laughs> yeah. rifles. Yeah, like and, oh gosh, I made a note about that one too, which was like ooh man. They make like uh, a fucking giant outline of just bullets around the podium, yeah. and he ducks down, he hops up, and says something about Bazooka Joe doesn't take any shit, and <laughs> yeah, he, he launches a fucking like... bazooka around into the audience, and everyone just cheers and loves him again. Yeah. Like, yes, they love this shit. God, it, that moment was like ooh. Oh yeah, this is the '90s, all right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And Duke is talking to like, I, th- I think it's Jay's girlfriend is saying something to the effect of like, something you said is really pissing off some of the women voters. And he says, "Women can vote." Yeah, and she's like, "Yeah, of course they can." He goes, "Oh God, I hope the Irish can't." And he goes, "Yep, they can too." And he says, "I better change my slogan." And it shows the poster, and it's like, "Irish suck, vote for Duke." <laughs> right. And he's kicking a leprechaun like yeah. up the ass with like a rainbow behind him and like a pot of gold falling over, and it's just playing bagpipes while it's showing it. Yeah, but it's yeah. just such like a 1930s mentality. Yeah, 1920s I mean, he, mentality. and really like subtle racism and like in politics right yeah yeah like like you don't have to be a smart or like learned or like kind man to have risen into power he's very like younger burlier mr burns he's kind of like the 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 alter mr burns and that like he's not a frail decrepit old man right he's just sort of like a ted turnery businessman in this 
he announces his running mate though to Jay, and I I, I like the running mate. So. Anything involving fucking Franklin, Jay's dad, man. Like he just has him behind a curtain, <laughs> yeah, like he's the Wizard that. of Oz or something. He just pulls yeah. it, and Jay's dad's just standing there grinning with his fucking glass of bourbon. <laughs> yeah, and uh, he says like, uh, you know, the, the first thing I'm going to do is make sure I have a, a firm stance of honesty with my constituents, so I'm not going to wear my toupee anymore. <laughs> and you just hear like this horrible well, ripping he, he's noise. Like, yeah, <laughs> dad, you don't. Wear Wear a toupee. Yeah, I will just, now. Yeah, he just rips his <laughs> yeah. hair off. Yeah, that's fucking great, man. More pleasant drunk now. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, he was always like the kind of fun wild card on the show. I mean, there's like entire episodes centered on Franklin and all of this. It, it, it's funny because like this one's more of a Duke one. There are definitely Franklin ones. The best episodes of The Critic are kind of the ones that aren't centered on Jay. Jay is not like a, a Homer transplant at all i mean it's always sort of like the secondary characters on the on the critic that make those episodes really really worth revisiting also like i know he's he's a film critic right that's his job yeah, yeah he, he like, works he works for duke what's with Basically. all the arnold hate he makes like four arnold jokes in this well, episode I, alone i think a lot of that had to do with the critics at the time constantly ripping him they hated stallone they hated arnold I guess I mean, that makes sense it didn't yeah. matter like what they tried to do like when when arnold tried to get away from action after t2 he kind of did some more ivan reitman comedies he did junior and a few other things kinda, right kind of after doing twins and all that he's like i'm gonna be more of a a comedy actor or kindergarten cop, all that stuff. I'm going to kind of spread my wings a little bit and not completely pigeonhole myself because T2 is like the pinnacle. It's like, how am I going to top that? I'm going to kind of play it down a little bit. Right, in that part of the career anyway. And they hated that too. And then as he tried to move on like into more dramatic things later on, they hated that too. And it's like they've just made up their minds they hate this guy. Right. So yeah. That makes sense. I, I think that that's kind of what they're going for with Jay of like – this is someone who's not being remotely objective at all. This is right. someone who is just kind of a, a just decided he doesn't like him and no, he's always going to rip on him. He's just a dumpy little shithead. that's very <laughs> right. opinionated and his opinion, his opinions aren't valid. They're not right most of the time, but he's going to say them anyways. And he's just a fucking mouthpiece, but he's a, he's a little man in terms of all the people around him. Cause I mean, that, that's kind of what they're doing with Duke in this episode. I think is really downplaying Jay's role and building up Duke to be what, I guess what what's driving the story. It makes sense. Uh, I, I guess the Franklin stuff, though, when he becomes his running mate, that's just leaning more into the whole idea of, you know, the dumber you are, like the more successful you can be because they're showing Duke being as powerful as he is. And they're showing Franklin. They're talking about like all of his accolades and the things he's accomplished in his life and how he'd be a perfect running mate for president. And it's yeah. like the, the guy is like his mental faculties are just fucking gone. He's it's also like some, you know, some people running for president get vice presidents are just like fucking putzes, you know, complete. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, uh, basically Franklin is the cartoon equivalent of like Peter Sellers from being there. Like he's saying things that other idiots think are smart because they're vague and you can read into them if you want to. I mean, Franklin's a lot worse off than Peter Sellers is in that movie, but uh, he's a hopeless drunk on top <laughs> of it. But it's still one of those things where, like, you just kind of squint at it and go, like, how did you become successful? And it's, like, because he just tried. He just tried to do anything. He just sort of, like, Charlie Chaplin'd his way into fucking success somehow. Who knows? But, yeah, um, I, I do like that when his dad is getting makeup done before the um, the debates, he's like, Dad, are you sure you want to you sure you want to do this? I mean, are you sure you know what you're doing? And he's like, you know, how much worse can I be than, like, Aaron Burr or Spiro Agnew? And... 
He says, maybe you do know what you're doing. He says, right. Now let's go rob that bank. He, <laughs> he puts like a pantyhose yeah. on his head and he has like a loaded gun ready to go. <laughs> yeah. They they get the debates going and uh, they introduce like, you know, the people he's debating. And then when they announce him, there's just like a slide whistle and he just sort of appears from behind the podium <laughs> yeah, with like a fucking <laughs> scotch in his hand. <laughs> yeah. he says, As the first black like female funny... head of the Ku Klux Klan. Oh, my God. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> that delivery of that speech. It cuts back to him as like Julia Childs, like running like a cooking program. He's like stirring a pot of soup or something. Yeah, it's the it, first black woman head of the KKK. Yeah. It's it's good, man. I, I I think it's a pretty good app. I mean, it's I don't know. Um, I I haven't seen the critic in such a long time. It's really hard to remember if this is one of the better ones or one of the less great ones. Um, I remember really liking the show overall, but I'd never watched it before. Really? Like I remember seeing it around, but like mm-hmm. yeah, I'd never I just never watched it. I've seen clips and... of it here and there. So you've never actually watched a full episode either? I might have. Yeah. But you know. No, I don't not that I specifically remember. I don't I don't know if I watched it when it was on Comedy Central. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I mean I guess this probably ran on Comedy Central frequently until like ninety seven, maybe, ninety eight. Mm. So I mean by the time you were coming to an age where you could probably appreciate it. I, I'm sure they weren't running it anymore. Yeah. That would have been like early 2000s for you. So that was more of like the Reno 911 times well, the, and stuff uh, like that. Didn't they it go out. to like 2001? Well, they brought stuff out later. It was more of like an internet thing. Okay. It's only, I think it's only two seasons of the initial run. It is. That's it. I probably just missed its run on Fox. And then when it went to Comedy Central, I didn't see it because, I mean, I didn't see cable until probably like the early 2000s at least. Yeah. It's hard to wire up a cable. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I, I do think it's a funny enough show to not have Believe buried. Believe it or not, though, we have telephone, but we have lines. Like all the <laughs> shitty things that they didn't bury. You know, and you look at something like this, which is basically like a precursor to Futurama in a way. I mean, this is a lot of the same talent from The Simpsons working pretty hard on something. And it's not a it's not a poorly written show. No, I I get the the jokes aren't timeless or anything like that. And some some of the I said some of the punchlines were kind of hit or miss, either that they didn't go far enough or they or they just kept a joke going. And it was like it was already funny. Now it's just seems like you're just beating a dead horse. Yeah. Um but it it was funny and yeah. it's very like you said like the it's politically topical and it it really hits those notes well yeah but, I, I think so i think i think the timing is good on it yeah and uh i do like the all the voice part, actors anyway. the voice actors are really interesting and that's the biggest shine it's got so. it's well casted it's got a great great cast yeah it's probably too similar to the simpsons and in, in wyatt never became as popular right i mean it's, i think so it's probably what curbed it but it is funny yeah, yeah. I, I enjoyed it for the most part it sounds harsh to say that it's like if if a show is not if it's done by the same people but it's not as sharp and it's not as timeless i think it just wasn't as groundbreaking right no i, I don't it's think probably so really what it is because he said it's more highbrow than the simpsons and so when you think yeah. about it that way that and it's in that it's in many ways smarter than that you would think it would could be more popular this almost feels like like simpsons is for everybody kind of like most like pixar movies are or whatever but then there's all those jokes in the pixar movie that are for the adults right this, this is that that's how i felt about it, it was like this is clearly yeah. this is a show that is for people who prefer right jokes about politics really like it's yeah. this, yeah, what, this that's is what it is this is like people that 
would like the Daily Show a lot. You know. Oh yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a great actually. That's a great comparison. You know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Like the the parents can sort of nudge each other in the theater next to their three little shitty brat kids and go, "Oh, that joke's for us." Yeah, I mean, it There's is one for us. the critic, so I guess that makes sense when you think about it in terms of it basically criticizing, putting a spotlight on the ugliness of some things. Yeah. yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. Cool. Damn, we should end on that. That's really fucking smart, Jesse. Thanks. I man. thought you were just handsome. <laughs> well, you know. Every dog has its day. <laughs> he's, a, he's a triple threat. This I get is. one every podcast. Yeah. Well, that was it. All right, change it. <laughs> Do pizzas too crazy bread in this jug with Kool-Aid for eight ninety eight. It's Little Caesars. Picnic, picnic. That's not it either. Do it again. Do the guitar riff again. Hang on. Hey, I'll do it. Hang on. Oh, yeah. yeah, someone someone else. Alright, I got it. And Go I'll ahead. uh hold on. Alright, ready? Would you know my name? If I saw you in heaven, is that what we're doing? That was it. That Damn, was dude, it. that was spot yeah. on. <laughs> All right, everyone, do their best. Do host real quick. Do, do host, do host, mesh. Is that it? Do. Yes. Oh shit. Do host. Oh shit. Do host, mesh. Okay, now now do the German oh, band Rammstein and, and not Shredder. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. uh, welcome to Williams Music Corner. Today we are covering Du Hast by Rammstein. Oh God! Please tell me this is like a really quick bit you're doing. Uh, what bit? This is uh, this is the entire. No, I like this. This is one of my favorites. Yes, this is the entire uh, uh, section now. Miko, what is your opinion on <laughs> Du Hast by Rammstein? I'll get to you in a minute, Franz. Miko. Oh, God. I I used to like it, and then you started doing this fucking voice, and I didn't know we were gonna do this. I'm not so I don't doing like it. I don't know. And what was that? That was not German. Whatever that is, it's slipping already. No, I'll tell you what. You, no, it's, you, it's a British. Get the get out of here. You, I, I do. Jesus. God damn it! No, I'm out. Fuck. Did you, so? Did you rehearse this too? Yeah, I rehearsed. I mean, I know you it. didn't rehearse the actual playing of the song. You just wing that. But are, did you rehearse the voice? Yeah. 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 <laughs> you just know that one word. You, you, you just practice that one word and you were like just say yes to whatever he fucking says yeah, that is awesome. you were right. like oh wait does does ya mean yes how many fingers am i holding up I... <laughs> three okay dry even i know that i took german for four years so i know i know I'm what not, three is that's, that's about all i know though i'm not speaking german i'm speaking english <sighs> god i don't like this is fucking very das boot i don't i don't enjoy this anymore we're covering uh, Rammstein's Du Haas, which is a great, great song, and it's better than uh, 
the first part <laughs> of our conversation about it. But uh, yeah, man, um, fucking hot take. Duhas rocks. Uh, it still rocks. It's incredible. Twenty twenty three is a banger. Boots. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Jesus. Go ahead, Jesse. Give me your thoughts on Duhas. Fail. <laughs> Jesus. Take it away. For the time, it is quite good, but now maybe a little bit. Is Nick said a good? No, it's a banger. Yeah, to this man. day, it rules. And not only that, but I mean, for '96, '97, whenever that yeah. came out, I mean, that production value of the music video is great for a music video of that time. Yeah, I mean, it yeah. looks yeah. it looks awesome. It sounds awesome. Every bit of that ruled. Yeah, you know what's crazy is like, I don't know if the timeline's exactly right here, but like what we were getting in America at this time, because Alternative was still around, but it was kind of sort of like sort of stepping back and letting other things sort of come into the fray a little bit. I mean, you still had like Pearl Jam, you still had all these other bands that were like front and center, but you still you had other things sort of like bleeding in. And one of the things I was going to say for 97 is we had like corn. We had like corn, like mud vein and shit like that coming into the scene. And I heard Duhas for the first time. And I remember being like, it, it was like when people talk about going to see fucking Star Wars or something back in 77, where you go, holy shit, they can do this. <laughs> and it was just like a sound to my ears where I thought like, God, you just, you keep holding on to hope that you're going to keep liking like Nine Inch Nails. And most of it is just inaccessible to you. I mean, you're just not that upset as a human being. Not really. It's been really. a long time since I've heard this, but uh, listening to it again, all I could think was like, this is around the same time. The Mortal Kombat theme song is hitting airwaves. Uh, this, and is, this is two here. years later. This is that was ninety five. Okay, but it's still, like that's not that big of a time gap. Not far right? No, 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 no. And no, I'm no. thinking that I mean for that to sound as awesome as it did yeah. at the time, and yeah. then hear this, and it's thirty years later, and so like yeah. this is still good. That Mortal Kombat theme is like house music compared to this. Yeah, shit. like it is. Yeah, yeah, so dated. Like, like relatively compared speaking. to Duhas, it's like that. Be my Lover, won't you be? And that's what it sounds like compared to. It's like like just like auto tune, like just just a basic rhythm with a lot of like. Percussion sounds like Clash of Tears in Heaven. <laughs> it wishes it was. It does. But, it? Yeah, it opens with like a really like dirty sounding riff. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I, I love it. It's that great hard rock opening. Yeah, it sounds like, like a guy really in a goes. rusty suit of iron playing three, like a three neck guitar or some shit yeah. on fire, and it fucking rules. And then that voice, Till Lindemann's voice comes on it, and it's just like, it just sounds so gravelly yeah. and fucking. And it, when you see him in the music video, I mean, he looks like the kind of person you would think would have that voice. Actually, just we, this kind we, of like we lumbering. The video. Okay, so clear this up for me real quick yeah. first. So, like, what does Duhas mean? So Duhas, it, well, it means it's a play on words. So with one S, Haas means have. So you have, uh-huh. and then with two S's, it means hate. So it's a play on words on words on for okay, you. So have, have hate. Uh, well, when he says Duhas mich, that's you hate me or you ha- have me. Uh, so, it's okay. basically a song about the guy, his marriage falling apart and he, getting a divorce and his wife hating him by the end of it. And him basically accepting that and saying, like, I'm past it. I don't fucking need you anymore. Because the video is incoherent, sort of, unless like you sort of know what that backstory is. I mean, it's, it's a guy 
that pulls up to a, a fucking barn in the middle of nowhere and things seem somber between him and his wife in the car like like there's a big cloud over both of their heads. I and, didn't even realize they were married. Well, whatever uh, it is. I, mean, I think they are. I think I think you see rings and all that. But anyways, they embrace and like kiss. He gets out of the car and you clearly see like a gun tucked into the back of his pants. I mean, he's walking into a situation where clearly he goes like death is uh, not only a possibility, but a probability. I mean, I'm probably going to die going in here and she knows it too. And he walks in there, and it's all these guys wearing masks that I guess are his old buddies. I don't know if they're like mob-affiliated or what. How many mannequins do you think they had to cut up to get those masks? They just went into your room. Yeah, the perfect amount. In Germany, yeah, they they don't. They already have pre-cut mannequins just in case for any event. (laughs) Yeah, for for any like social function, a gala event. Yeah, they brought those from home. (laughs) He goes in there and uh, basically, instead of like it being a shootout or something of violence, uh, it's all warm embraces and friendliness and all that stuff. And they're drinking and they're hanging out and partying and hugging. And the wife or the girlfriend or whatever she is, um, Ava fucking bony chest, whatever her name is out there. <laughs> she's she, a, I think she's a prominent actor, uh, actress in Germany. Yeah, well, I, I made the comment that this is what Elizabeth Shue's character should have looked like. Because she, I mean, of course, like the light and like the way they shoot the video is not flattering to her. But this guy... I hate to say it. This guy's fucking handsome. That's a good looking guy. Yeah, the, I didn't know that Romslam was a bunch of fucking good looking guy. Yeah. I don't hate it at all. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I have to say it's That's, one S. Uh those are good looking guys, man. Like I, I you know, I'm not I'm not completely gay or anything like that. But well, you were hoping but, for a little bit more after when the I was a little kid, came I was, out. Yeah, I was confused as shit about a lot of things. And, you know, <laughs> let's just, let's just let's just say that, you know, no no couch cushion was safe from anything. So I didn't know what I was doing, <laughs> but this this brings back a lot of old feelings. Um, what were we talking about? Leaving Las Vegas. Uh, <laughs> so no, no, no. But I mean, th- this guy's in there and he's getting drunk with his bros and he's hanging out. And she clearly doesn't know what's going on. No, outside, no right? she, she's yeah. she's picturing them like I don't know what the syringe implies, yeah. but tied to a chair and like injecting him with something and then catching him on fire is what she thinks is going on in there. And then they basically walk out of the building, and everyone's and basically on their arm. She probably thinks that they killed him inside, and then she sees him like walk out yeah. beside beside them. They keep on walking. He gives her a cold mm-hmm. stare, and, and like, they blow up her in the car. They blow her up in the car, which I guess means from the get go, he kind of knew what was gonna yeah. how that was gonna go down, and he planned. There's a bomb already in the car. I think is what we can take away yeah. from that. And he's choosing his friends bros over his before wife. It's essentially a, a Germanic mm. bros before hoes video with an insane guitar riff. So it's like he's going in there. She's thinking, oh, he's going to sacrifice himself for me because they he's choosing me over them or yeah. something. And then comes out with them and, <laughs> and then <laughs> it if goes you, the other way. Yeah. And if you don't choose this route, you become John Lennon. And you get shot on a New York street. So, we done? Weird, weird way to put right <laughs> direction. <laughs> You're not old enough. You don't know who John Lennon is. Don't worry about it. Look it up later. Look, look it up on your Google. But no, the I Lennon. The, <laughs> the this it's it's a good video, but man, it's a way better song. I mean, that song fucking rocked. It's a, like yeah. Whenever people like listen to metal, I would hear like just 
bits of it here and there, and it's like I could never even pretend. Like if someone basically said, like if my best friend dragged me to something and said, like all I want for my birthday is you to go see fucking God period blood or whatever it is at the Orpheum. Like that's all I want in my life is just you to be there with me. I couldn't do it, man. No, and the death metals too much, right? It's can't just like fucking do it. Like this screeching. is the closest I can get. You know what I mean? Like this is this is the coldest pool I can swim in. Like, I can get into metal, but yeah, it's it's metal like this. Like, yeah. once it gets to that point where it's just screeching voices, right. and it, it's not even melodic in its guitar, that's right. when it's like, okay, I, this is just noise. A lot. Yeah. But, yeah, man. I mean, it it, def- it definitely holds up. I don't know. Uh, you guys have thoughts? I mean, on the video or anything? Man, I just... Yeah, there's not really a whole lot to cover there. I mean, I, I wish it. I wish it wasn't as fucking awesome as it was because then we could definitely cut it to pieces. But I'm very curious why the production value is like so good. I well, and, like a lot of those music videos are better than you would think they are production video uh, production quality wise. But like when they get uploaded to YouTube or like the whole transfer process of going, they were all shot on tape and video, right? Right. Yeah. So like putting that onto YouTube and trying to digitize it, most of them just end up looking like utter fucking shit. But then so, why does this stand uh, out? Maybe as... some of it was shot on film and it was easier to probably. transfer. That was my thought. Probably was shot on probably film. film. There are a couple of shots yeah. that look a little video-y, so I'm not totally sure. I mean, I, th- I think um, a lot of I think a lot of European bands too though, and I may just be saying this, but I feel like the ones I have seen, they try to tell more of a narrative. They try to tell more of a story, I guess, while a lot of American bands, MTV and VH1 fare, were more like, show the band in an interesting setting, but they're still playing. I always kind of got the impression that, like, particularly like those, like you're talking about, it seems like they're done out of a necessity. Like, it's just part of kind of helping to spread. It's advertising the song, right? 100%, yeah. So they're almost kind of forced to make music videos, and that's why some of them come across so campy or like dumb or don't make any sense and forced and done in a yeah, day or two forced or whatever because they yeah. just kind of have to and right. you know they might be sitting in a studio and like all right guys we got one week to shoot this because we got to advertise this on mtv or whatever and they're like well, what are we gonna do in a week with you know 20 grand or whatever and then they just kind of throw something together you know it's, uh, it's funny like you could almost parallel this to like like porn production to where most of it, the bulk of it, is just like fluff. Like, just have them show up, and I mean, there's no story to tell. Like, just find an interesting setting, something that like we haven't seen a million times, or have, and just have them do their thing, which is the band in a local warehouse or on a beach or whatever, and they're looking right at the camera and they're playing their instruments and and lip syncing along or whatever. Because the appeal is not what you're looking at; it's right. the song. Yeah. And the, exactly, yeah, the song is like 75% of the value of the thing in and of itself. But I think with a lot of European film, and not just European, but like a lot of like auteur music video directors like Fincher and Spike Jones and a lot of other things, you think about like the, the video for the Beastie Boy Sabotage, where it's sort of like the 70s cop show throwback. They were telling some kind of narrative. I mean, even the video for Closer by Nine Inch Nails, a lot of it's just more like theme but it's nightmarish imagery. I mean, it's like something like out of a fucking hellscape. It almost looks like a Francis Bacon painting or something at times. But it's 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 putting really like iconic, memorable images into your brain. And you're almost like sort of conflating the two things, the sound and the image. And that's always going to be more effective than just it's an okay video, but I, I guess really that just makes want to hear the sense song. for something like Germany, right, which is so rich with 
you know go ahead it's history oh. with film but like uh, now that i'm saying yeah. it out loud uh, that girls guy really made a lot of good movies yeah, yeah it's it's like when uh lenny Riefenstahl did the video for 99 red balloons you know He's just looking right past it. <laughs> I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. <laughs> She's the lady who directed all, like, of, all of Hitler's stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, she did the mountain climbing movies, and then she did Hitler's rally stuff. Anyways. Now I get it. Now I get it. I, what I'm saying is I, I, I am trying to like create like a direct parallel Anybody between... got any more rocks for me to eat? <laughs> you did that one. <laughs> so like when Hollywood in the 60s was making just like Dr. Doolittle and the Sound of Music and just like, just get as many fucking butts in the seat, just family movies. Like we're not telling any actual stories here. I mean, the Sound of Music arguably, but it's a musical. It's not trying to tell like, it's not trying to break the fucking ground of anything new by telling that story. And then you've got um, like, excuse me, <laughs> you've got the European filmmakers making like French new wave shit. And it's like, we're going to tell stories about sex and death and love and hate and life and like existentialism and crazy shit. And then all of a sudden all these guys start seeing this stuff and they start making Bonnie and Clyde and Coppola starts working and Scorsese and everything else. And all of a sudden it's like, this thing can be more than what it is. And I think those German music video directors, not just German, but European in general, and then some of these auteur guys that go into filmmaking, it's like, I can't make a movie for less than $100 million and tell this gigantic story with these visuals, but I can do it in two minutes with this song. And I think that's kind of what they're doing with the Rammstein video. It's, it's a guy named Philip Stolzel. And uh, I looked him up. I saw some German movies. I haven't seen any of them. He did one called North Face. But he also did the video for Evanescence, Bring Me to Life. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, which, you know. Okay, so, well, answer this question for me then. Do record companies overseas in Europe work the same as they do in the States? Probably because not. I wonder, now that we're talking about it and saying it out loud, what you were saying before about, like, well, yeah, of course, the music is the biggest appeal. So, if the record company is the one producing the music video you could see how they would be like well why are we going to dump a bunch of money into a video that we don't really care about when what we really want them to do is buy the record right so if you see it on mtv great but what we really want is for you to buy the record so why would we dump a bunch of money into a video i think romstein might be like a more special case because they were a they're they're a global band even then um, yeah, and uh, they're, it's they more were about definitely, spectacle too. Huh? It's more about spectacle too, because even yeah. their live shows are notorious oh, for the like pyrotec- pyromaniacs. Till, yeah, just oh, really? Till oh, Lindemann, yeah. it was a former pyrotechnician, and oh, okay. He also, uh, from what I, I hope that's not wrong, but that's what I saw. Um, and he also like was uncomfortable performing on stage in front of people, and. So to distract from himself, gotcha. he just loaded it up with fucking pyrotechnics. That rules. A ton of them. I love and that. He even bur- he got burned a lot of times because he's just in the middle of all the like 15 foot flames yeah. and shit. I, I, I watched a, a video after I'd watched Duhas one time on YouTube. Uh, I just watched one that looked kind of cool. And of course, they always pick like the best image for the video I had or whatever. But it's just one from like 2022. It's from last year. Mm. And he's performing some fucking Ramstein song I've never heard, of course. But he's up there, and as he's playing and he's ripping on that fucking guitar, he's got this backpack on, and it's firing out like octopus arms of flames. He looks like Dr. Octopus of fire. 
And like every time he really like hits a big riff, it's these insane. things are shooting out, and it's like, holy shit, this is nuts, man. I mean, it's on his back. He's having to lean forward to not be burned by this thing. And Probably like, still getting burned I'm by sure it he's anyway. Still getting yeah. burned. Yeah, yeah no, th- this guy is bald for all the right reasons. Okay. Yeah, he, he's shaving his head for his own safety at this. Makes point. sense why it became so big. Then best performers always know you're yeah. putting on a show. Bring the spectacle. Yeah. Bring it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man, I, I I think it's great. I I really love it. I mean, having said that, I I didn't mess with Rammstein much. I bought that album just for that song, and uh, there's a few other good songs on there from what I remember. Um, but I was taking German in high school, and I remember bringing the liner notes to the German teacher because I had I had a teacher who's like, I can't reach any of you little shits. This was junior high too. I think it's when I start first started taking it. So I was twelve or thirteen. And I just could not give a fuck. It was an elective, and you were going to get a C no matter what. It's just to get you the fuck out of there. But I remember bringing him the liner notes, and he read them out loud to us. And it was, it was like some shit from the Necronomicon. Bad. I mean, <laughs> it, it was. It was like really. It was like some Aleister Crowley shit. It was really graphic and really profane. But he knew that it would go a long way. I mean, that was like his way of turning the chair around and sitting down on it like the cool teacher. How do I reach these kids? (laughs) But that was like his way of like, I know some of you guys think that I don't give a damn. And we're like, whoa. Whoa, Teacher said, I bet some of you are thinking that German's not very cool. It's not very (laughs) hip. Uh, Yeah. But but yeah, he's like it is. He's like he's like a youth pastor that's trying to make Jesus seem like he's really just like the, the coolest rebel. All right, now everyone uh, take out your extreme teen Bibles. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's like a like the cover of it's like Jesus like slam dunking like a basketball like on top of a lion's head or something like a Roman helmet. Yeah. But yeah, basically this was that guy and hey, he doing chores. He, uh, <laughs> I think they're pretty awful. <laughs> he just shook so much. Both of his hands went on his hips. He shook so much, and his hands were still on his hips. Well, let me tell you who didn't like to do chores either. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus didn't do any chores. <laughs> yeah, uh, he he basically he read those uh, liner notes for us, and he showed us Run, Lola, Run. And that was like... Wow. Cool. Yeah, that was like... This is a hell of a German teacher. Yeah, he was cool. His name yeah. was Dr. Hermann, and he was a really cool guy. Uh, he really changed it guy. after he moved to Argentina. <laughs> yeah. Let's, a, just, <laughs> let's just say that he had a fresh tan once a year. I had yeah. a Spanish teacher that served in the Gulf War, and every once in a while, the students would beg him to tell a story about how you can kill a guy with your thumb by just hitting him in the throat. <laughs> yeah, you can kill a guy with your thumb, but you that can kill was... a fuckload of people with a. Where's the beep? Where's the beeping machine? <laughs> beep. Um. Yeah, that's Stu Haas. Um. All right. Anyone got any other thoughts? Anytime I get angry, I'm just gonna shout Du Haas. Du. Du Haas. Play it one more time. Let's do it one more time. I liked it. I mean, you don't have to do the Du Haas bit, but play it one more time. No, no, no. Oh, oh, the, the guitar. The, 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 the guitar. guitar. Yeah, okay. play it. Sure. No, I don't mean the good version. I mean play your version. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, no, can, worry, can, can we end on a happy note and talk about being drunk in Las Vegas instead? Yeah. Hold on. Okay. You can do that over to Haas, right? <laughs> Ooh, I want to be killed by dogs. <laughs> Fuck yeah, dude. Oh. I don't know the words. <laughs> <laughs> 
What does he say? What Would he... you know my name? <laughs> that was good. You like that? I did. Yeah. <laughs> a little slow hand for you there, Jesse. <laughs> and I don't want the world to see. <laughs> <laughs> do it. Do it. Do yeah, it. Yeah, 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 go ahead. Go ahead. I can cut this out, but go ahead. Yeah, that's fine. It's hard to do with this, but okay. And I don't want to see me because I don't see me. You don't understand. Well, let me try. Let me try. When everything's made to be broken. Yeah. Hell yeah. That that, that does sound like a Rom Sign lyric. Yeah, yeah. When everything's made to be broken. Fuck yeah. I just want you to know who I am. Yeah. See, it changes the whole meaning. Exactly. Yeah. The rules, dude. Yeah, man. Well, that's Duhas for the Goo Goo Dolls. <laughs> that fucking rocks. We just started something. Yeah. All right. Is that it? That's it, man. All right, change it. We are Flintstones kids. Flintstones have the vitamins and minerals kids need, plus the great Flintstones taste and fun shapes they love. Now that's what I call complete. All right, that's about wraps it up. Uh, before we go, we're going to go ahead and roll for the next week. And let's go ahead and spin the wheel now. For the movie, we are doing The Craft. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing? <laughs> no, I'm, uh... Who's in that? Uh, Nev Campbell, Feruza Balk, uh, Rachel True, and Skeet Ulrich. Okay. Right. Is it a horror movie? It is a horror movie. It's okay. a, it's a witch. It's a witchy movie. Yeah, that's that's what it sounded like. Right. It's not a horror I don't movie, think I, really. It's, I think I've I've seen the poster for that. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a fun one. I'm I'm sure Jesse's seen it. Uh, and for the TV show, we are watching Kablam. Ooh. Uh, do you know what Kablam is? Yeah, I watched Kablam okay. a lot. All right. It's a baby show, so I figured you did. Uh, <laughs> I still watch it. <laughs> and for the music video, we are doing Misery by Soul Asylum. There, okay. There, there are other songs that they <laughs> did that's worth listening to. Okay. What's the other one? that he... Runaway Train. Okay. Yeah. It's not a bad song. It's good. It, it, you can play it on guitar. Yeah. So, yeah. It'd be All good. Right. be good. Cool. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not going to be a, a leaving Las Vegas fucking romstein the critic lineup but i don't know i guess we'll talk That's for bad. close to three goddamn hours and uh say yeah. uh a lot so yeah it should be entertaining yeah i think so i don't know this was a fucking bummer i'm not gonna lie <laughs> yeah so <laughs> this uh, was not one of our funnier episodes well but you know, you know it's okay though. they can't all all be hilarious um, they we should we should probably try <laughs> we should probably try if we come up with something like leaving las vegas we should probably say yeah let's re-roll that one maybe 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 what's I don't another know. one like leaving las vegas irreversible but <laughs> was that now. 90s uh i think it's 2000 okay we just missed the bus on that yeah 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 dang it dang it yeah uh, well. yeah you'll, you'll have to go you'll have to go to our other podcast our naughties podcast to yeah. listen to our reversible our gasper no uh filmography breakdown yeah that's gonna be a special one coming to you 
All right, cool. I'm going to drink myself to death and be torn apart by dogs by then. Yeah, I don't know if we're getting to this episode or not. If I, it, yeah, if I have my druthers about it, and by golly, I will. I will have def- definitely eaten myself to death. God, you're, you're about halfway there, man. Yeah, there's just going to be... being kind. You're mostly there. I've been eyeing this bird seed that's in the kitchen. What are you up now? 138 pounds now? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, hold on. Is that with or without shoes on? <laughs> well, let's not get into semantics here so let's not let's not split any with hairs. my jacket on <laughs> no jacket will fit you it's a joke yeah that's true all right it's gonna wrap it up for us we will see you next time yeah don't forget to rate review and subscribe or don't if you don't feel like it. who gives a shit uh yeah well you know i'm so, I'm so depressed after this <laughs> yeah uh, uh next one's gonna be uh, a, a less of a bummer because we're covering kablam yeah we're literally covering a song called misery and it's gonna be less miserable <laughs> all right see you next time bye bye